The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top 5 Boxers in MMA. From boxing stylists to power punchers who throw them hands, we talk about the best to do it and so much more. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer at MixedMarshallAnalyst.com, and today we are back with a top five episode, top five boxers in MMA. We're going to get into that more and set that up for you just in a second, and to help me, because boxing is on everybody's mind. I figured it was apropos to do this topic, and what better guest than my man over at Loaded Joe's, at Loaded Joe's MMA my man Blake Stevenson in the house today. What is up, Blake? Uh, what's up, my man? You gotta tell him my nickname. That way, it hits me, Money Blakeweather. Money Blakeweather tells them Absolutely. all they need to know. Tells them all they need to know. Yeah, um, man, Dan Tom, it's so good to, to be on your show. Thank you so much for having me, man. I've had you on mine, and it's just a matter of scheduling and uh, UFC and the MMA gods lining up our schedules so we get this cleared out. You know what I'm saying? Oh, 100 percent, man! I'm, <laughs> thank, thank you for coming on. And I was on point with the, uh, you know, the loaded, uh, the loaded Joe's MMA plug. Uh, you know, given the Twitter and the at there. Uh, you know, we're friends with many podcasts. And correct me if I'm wrong. You're, you're also doing some boxing projects with our man uh, Kyle Steele over there. Am, yeah, am Kyle I... Steele, Loudmouth Boxing is mm-hmm. is the project. I love it. It's kind of I don't want to say it's a podcast because I do a podcast with it, but I do do a show too. Like. You know, a breakdown. I, I broke down. You know, Floyd Mayweather and the the left hand of Conor McGregor. Please go check that out. It's on Facebook. It's on YouTube, guys. So it's kind of a little bit of everything. I made a commercial, made a, a hype video. I'm working on one to, you know, kind of show the whole fight. This whole fight, uh, Conor and Floyd kind of encapsulated. So I'm waiting for after the fight to make a hype video for that. So it's just a project, but it's something I'm very passionate about, man. I love boxing. Awesome, man. Well, I hope to hear more of that. You know, I'm a subscriber and listener, you know, to your podcast over at Loaded Joe's. In fact, if y'all haven't already subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. But more specifically, go listen to his recent episode. Uh, he, uh, he he's done he's done a couple now with my man, our mutual friend there, Robin Black. But this was his most recent one. It was a really enjoyable listen. Um, hopefully, you know, we're gonna kind of touch on our own topics and go our own direction here. But I really I really enjoyed that, man. I know I told you kind of off air, but just you know, for the audience's sake, uh, you know, we're real here on this podcast and it was a nice real conversation you know from you know robin's own personal expressions of what he's going through i i, I identify a little bit of there i, mean, I identify with robin a lot it's probably why, why we get along so well in real life <laughs> and, and, and same with you as well and when you guys got together it, it's awesome so people if you're listening to this go go check go check it out but uh but but, but speaking thank of, you so much man oh no worries but and by the way uh how has that been, man? Because because you are you are rocking and rolling over there, and and a lot's changed since we talk. As far as you know, I'm 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 seeing I'm seeing more guys on your show and this and that. Um, is there anything new anything new brewing before we push on here that you want to get out there, Blake? 
Yeah, by the time this episode, I'm guessing it's going to come in the next uh, 24 to 36 hours. I'm going to be putting out an episode with Coach Jason Perillo. Oh, I recorded awesome. last week. Yeah, man, I, I I recorded it last Wednesday. I just I have not had time to. Uh, there's it was like some technical difficulty. I got to piece it together, but it's nothing big. It should be out tomorrow. It's an awesome episode, and me and Coach. You know, amongst other coaches, him, me and Angelo stay in contact because of boxing. Me and Coach Perillo, we made friends like three weeks ago over boxing. And then he's been on my show and we just constantly have talks. So it's just it's a really cool and beautiful thing to be friends with guys like that, that we speak that we speak the same language when it comes to striking and boxing. And um, it's just an awesome conversation that we had. So, yeah, everybody, please go look out for that uh, coming out by again by the time this episode's out. Well, I'm a huge Jason Perillo fan, a.k.a. Jesse from Breaking Bad. Uh, <laughs> even though as he gets older, maybe he'll look a little, little, less, little less, like, uh, less like him. But, uh, but yeah, we, he may come up in this episode later. I don't want to give away too, too much of that, but I'm a big fan of that, so I'll, I'll be on the lookout for that. But before we get to the top five that I kind of just cheated to, Blake, um, <laughs> I, you know, on this podcast, I haven't talked, or even if you go to my Twitter timeline, you'll see very little Mayweather McGregor. It's really strange. Yes. And as much of a contrarian and hipster Dan as I want to be, and and even as quietly, you know, I'll smirk and you know, the shit eating grin and be a little bit of proud of that. I can't lie, man. Um, I, I this captures the imagination. I don't talk about it much, but this captures the imagination uh, inside me as a fight fan. Uh, from you know, uh, you know, before we get into predictions and the who's who, I just want to say this first of all, Blake, is that Connor more specifically has captured my imagination. My heart is with him. Um, you know, from being a southpaw that grew up watching boxing or and or doing watching traditional martial arts like Connor did, that's what made mm-hmm. me fall in love with Connor from seeing him on the Cage Warrior scene to when he came up first came over to the UFC. That was kind of the appeal for me as far as you know why I like Connor McGregor and this and that. So you know, growing up watching boxing, seeing you know Julio Cesar Chavez and seeing Tyson when he just got out of prison. This is kind of the era that I came up with, and I'm kind of setting the stage for early '90s boxing. And now kind of seeing the world that I, I, I kind of more naturally fell into with real life and that grew around me and I'm now working in mixed martial arts, seeing these two worlds just kind of collide, I can't not appreciate it. So as, 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 uh, as, as critical as I want to be or as, as you know, contrarian as I want to be, I, I'm not going to lie, Blake. This, this shit's got me excited, man. <laughs> and, and, and like it has to you, – and, and pick an angle, right? Like this is kind of that fight where pick an angle – you're going to be excited about something, whether it's you like shit talking, whether it's like you like good fighters, whether it's you like Irish versus USA, like pick an angle because I guarantee you can find at least one and at least some reason to be excited about this fight, whether as hipster or as contrarian as you want to be or whether you want to admit it to yourself or not. The closer and closer this gets, it's some angle is going to pull at your heartstrings or somehow – your friends are going to get you involved in some sort of storyline where it's going to have you invested. So uh, I'm not, you know, in the words of Nate Diaz, I'm not surprised, <laughs> motherfucker. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, a hundred percent, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm definitely, I, I definitely fall into that boat. Um, and, and again, you know, I've also fallen to the other side where, you know, I'm, I'm not a big, big shit talker guy. So that side didn't really appeal to me as far as the press conferences go. Um, I'm not really too much into, you know, uh, you know, we, personal side not just Mayweather but even even McGregor you know um 
you know, maybe not as bad if we want to get into that or, or split hairs. That's not what I'm talking about here. But the point is they both have done stuff personally that make me not, you know, be the biggest fans of them if I want to be that critical. So well, know, putting all that stuff aside, though, again, this gets me so excited because when not just, you know, I kind of explained the more um, McGregor side, why I kind of associate him with a martial artist. But like I told you, um, I, I didn't do, by the way, I haven't, you know, gone back through a comb and watched all of Mayweather stuff. Most of the stuff I'll be speaking off here, my, my thoughts are off memory. But I was able to go back and go off of, uh, go watch, you know, Mayweather's earlier stuff. And my God, does he capture my imagination as a boxer. <laughs> and it reminds me of why I like this guy so much. Because yes. <laughs> it was his early work, which we'll get into because, again, I have got a historian right in front of me, folks. But it was his early work that made me a fan. I mean, you guys don't realize that uh, you know, at a certain point, he was he was you know twenty seven and zero with twenty knockouts. I mean, that proportion doesn't doesn't click when you talk about the, when you say that to the casual Mayweather, Mayweather fan that doesn't know about him. Like, but I thought he just fights the decisions all the time. You're like, no, go watch <laughs> at his, one point in time, yeah, yeah, go, go watch, go watch, you know, uh, you know, Burton or Augustus, uh, whatever the, the guy's last name was, Emmanuel, you know? Emmanuel, yeah, Emmanuel Augustus. That was one of my favorite ones. You know, that that was. Uh, that was where Pretty Boy Floyd was kind of, you know, roughed up and, and faced some adversity. Although the call, it, and rightfully so, was in his favor. He was winning the rounds, but it was closer than the commentators were kind of calling that fight. As far as what you saw, oh, from absolutely. Floyd before, you know, you know, as far as that, as far as that went, and uh, and and Floyd immediately appreciated. It. You know, he was talking about was like, we need fighters like that to get me ready for the big fights ahead. He had no, you know, he had no illusion, and uh, and, and 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 Floyd, you know, for as much as the, the show he puts on, and we can talk about him as a person, he's he. he he really showed good character in a lot of his wins when you go back and watch. Like, he was a very uh, gracious uh, winner. Uh, he's not a sour winner, you know. And then I appreciate stuff like that, man. It was, it was, it was yeah. a real treat going back and watching his early stuff. You, you favor his early stuff more, Blake, or what's, what's your take? Um, I mean, I, I grew up with him. The, the first fight I ever saw him fight, I, I, like, like a full fight, was Mayweather-Mosley. And that was when I was really starting to get into boxing. It was early 2010, so I had really gotten into Miracon. I'd actually gotten into, ironically, he's part of the spectacle of all this polymolinology. Um, but I, I got into that, and I got into that fight, and I didn't like Mayweather at first. I, I strongly disliked him, but I thought he was super entertaining, and I was going for Mosley. But I remember watching after round two, so round three on, and I just watched in awe. I remember watching the fight in awe, just like, Oh my goodness! Like this guy is on a fucking different level than this guy who just ate him up the first two rounds. Like he is on a different level. Like he 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 is the motherfucking man. And then I did my homework after that, and I, I'd say the era that I I, I like seeing him was kind of the mid uh, his mid stuff. Maybe he didn't always finish. So like I, I say mid stuff. So like Carlos Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, the Emmanuel Augustus fights right around that era. Um, one, uh, I mean, Jose Luis Castillo, uh, Diego Corrales, like those things around the later 20s, early 30s, even up to the Marcus Corley, uh, Chambre Mitchell, stuff like that. Like motherfucking fights like that where you get to see a full range of him using heart, using his strength. Knocking motherfuckers out, sometimes not, sometimes breaking his hands, sometimes having close calls. You get to see the widest range of, of Floyd there. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my particular, but I'm very familiar with his last 10 or last nine fights. I should say, well, last 10 fights. Let me see, 40. Yeah, last nine, 10 fights. I'm very, very familiar with those uh, as well. 
100% man. And uh, I guess to kind of give it more direction and how I'm trying to, uh, you know, attack, attack this or maybe more appropriately unpack this for, for the audience or anybody curious on my take. Essentially, you know, just to make it, you know, uh, not, 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 not super, you know, climax to it or anything. So I'll just tell you, I, I think Floyd's <laughs> going to get it. Uh, inside, he's he's going to be. It, I think he's going to finish him before the decision. But more specifically, um, I'm more of the camp of people out there thinking it's going to be toward body work. Um, yes. And uh, you know, from uh, I, I think that you know, I think he's going to go back to his. Uh, I, I, it, it's smart, you know, footwork. Even though he's shown in later years to f- fight more smarter, even against southpaws like Guerrero, where he could show and take the center and be a little more confident, you know, to get his feels as opposed to having a dance and pot shot to get his feels. Everybody, you know, again, the stereotype for the common, you know, Mayweather fan. Oh, he just pot shots to decision. He just pot shots to decision. Like that is a skill he has, but really, there is so much more connected parts to his game uh we're, we're, he maybe he hasn't had to show it as much in recent years but we you know we've seen it throughout his career right uh, you know right and, and, and but essentially is i, I think he's going to go to the body and kind of even though he's going to be more defensively aware and be more pot shoddy which i think is going to serve him well is what i'm getting around to saying i think we're going to see more of that return to that more of a roger mayweather left hand as far as setting everything up you know uh jabs mm-hmm. to the body one two twos to the body and then then working his hooks and everything off there you know what i'm saying because i think he went off to the hand like you mentioned the hernandez fight and you look and i think because he, he would always have that bad habit of when you think he would get guys out of there in a fight like uh augustus and he would just start loading up on those lefts to the body tour even when his left hand was hurt and he was in a fight or flight mode like hernandez he would still yes. go back to that left hook that was just such an ingrained habit he was forced to move away and that's why you hear people when they fight you hear the commentators talking about, well, Floyd's developed his right hand more over the years, and this, which was true, but I would like to think maybe it was a byproduct of that because of those hand problems. Everything's a byproduct. Like, every of, all of what you see now of Floyd is a byproduct of something, whether it's offensively or defensively. It's a byproduct of something where he's had to use it out of necessity and then develops it, and then he's like, well, now I have this tool and that tool. So what's up, motherfucker? Yeah, I mean, and it's really awesome. I mean, it's like a... And, Call me crazy here, but I actually see small similarities to, you know, we'll talk about the different angles and the different aspects of a boxer to MMA fighter to even Connor to typical MMA fighters and whatnot. But um, I actually call me crazy. See similarities with McGregor and Mayweather in the sense of movement. Now, obviously, uh, Connor is more a little more woo woo, and there's a little more narrative and demonization toward his movement from the McGregor challenge shit that we're seeing. To uh, you know, otherwise, you know, which I actually, I'm actually a fan of that movement stuff, and I can kind of see through the woo woo and see the functional parts of it in its defense. But neither here nor there. I'm not, I'm not trying to argument, argue it, but I, I see similarities in that, like. Uh, you know, their triggers, like when McGregor started working with pro boxers and getting better, we would see in the Nate Diaz fights um, with that inside slip, how he would use that so well. And I see similar triggers to uh, Floyd's inside slip, which I think, you know, we're going to see in this fight because, of course, your inside slip as an orthodox fighter becomes an outside slip against a southpaw fighter. And, uh, you know, I think Floyd, you know, is going to fight more open. Now, you have to naturally fight more open with your hips. But when you look at whether Floyd's fighting a southpaw or orthodox fighter, you tell me this here, Blake. I actually think Floyd's more of a dangerous when he doesn't, you know, again, stereotyping Floyd. Oh, he just shells. He pot shots. Like, no, when, when Floyd is open offense, when his hips are open to his opponent, his triggers are so fucking impressive, even at the older <laughs> age. Like, it's so, he's so goddamn dangerous. guys. And guys know it because they don't want to throw. You'll see volume fighters fucking just be a deer in headlights, right? Yes. Like, it's especially like Madonna or, or uh, somebody who likes to make pretend they're a volume fighter, but are not like Canelo. Like he gets close 
and, and, and even even Robert Guerrero prided himself on being a volume fighter and he was mm-hmm. Southpaw and he was he was a little bit more linkier than than the you know the reach elite on the reach had him 69 inches but his arm length was like one inch away from Floyd's so arm length wise you see like he looks a bit lanky because he really is mm-hmm. um, but you see things when Floyd starts to square up with them. And he's more dangerous defensively and then more dangerous offensively. And he will also, like you talked about, the, the proficiency to lean one way or over another, depending on the stances and then depending on if he's throwing the right hand this way, he wants to lean out that way or the inside. He'll do both. Yeah, yeah. He'll do both just, just to show you he can do both. And then that way you can't guess off the punch, which, like, you can't guess. Your counters don't match with his head movement. So now you're missing him completely. And now you're upset, and now he's already five feet, six feet away, and you're like, I had my chance. All right, I guess I'm going to try this again. And then he'll do it again. And, and, and it's, it's irritating to watch if you're looking mm-hmm. to nitpick things against Floyd. And it, it's probably irritating as fuck when you're fighting Floyd even more. And that's another, that's another <laughs> thing. People don't, people don't realize, aside from the little difference of spectating to fighting and, you know, uh, the literal difference of that, it's a complete difference being in there. I mean, I was, you know, listening to the MMA hour where Berto was talking, you know, and his fight with Floyd is, you know, almost two years ago now. He's had plenty of time to digest this, right? And you yes. even hear experienced guys like Berto, um, who, again, anybody who's done any kind of competition can kind of relate and, and, and go, hey, fans, easy on Floyd. I can kind of defend that. You don't understand what it's like. But even an experienced guy who's been in there is still two years later going, I don't, you don't get it. Like he's no matter what you do, he is doing just. He's not just beating you. He's only doing just enough to beat you, and not doing just enough to beat you. We're going. Oh, I'm so close, and you. I'm gonna get him next time. Now I'm gonna get him next time. But no, I'm so close, and I know he's just fucking with me. You know, like yes. And 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 when you hear a pro do that, you're like, oh, I have no chance of even fathoming what that's like. Well, <laughs> it's amusing, right? Like you hear it back, and you're like, oh no way. But then. As you're watching the fight and you start to remember those things, you're like, oh, oh, yeah, that's actually it's not it's it's funny because it's so true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one thing I didn't do is I didn't go back. I think the only thing I've, I've watched alcohol wise was the uh, the Zab Judah fight, which brought okay. up some interesting stuff because you're keeping in mind that that was an eight ounce glove fight. And depending on what what gets officially ruled here, we're going to know what we're working with in that regard. But uh, the Guerrero, the, the not the Guerrero, the. Uh, Excuse me, Herrera fight is the one that was kind of making me think about uh, the body shot when I was when you're thinking about it more. Uh, a guy trying to impose his size, a bigger frame fighter, and how how Floyd deals with that with footwork because that's the one uh, criticism from at a high level, an inside level to a common level. That's a big criticism on McGregor. That's like okay, I'm sure his punching one way whether it's going to be effective or not, we'll see. But I'm sure his punching will translate to the game. But that footwork, man, that footwork's got a long way to go. And you kind of see, you know, against a, a, a pressure guy, a bigger body, how Floyd, you know, um, does. And and that was kind of the one that was standing out to me as far as the left hand, the open stance, the the changing levels, and, and letting the body slowly slowly build and cook, you know, and kind of taking the guy out to deep water, um, like he kind of even said in his post fight there. And and I guess that's where I'm coming up with, you know, the body shots. But uh, um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with the body shots, but for a completely different reason. It didn't hit me either. Again, I'm a fan of all of Floyd's work, but it didn't hit me until I heard Virgil Hunter. And if people don't know who Virgil Hunter is, Virgil Hunter is trainer of Amir Khan, 
uh, Andre Ward, um, Andre Berto. Uh, Virgil Hunter is one of the most smart boxing coaches that is in the game that sometimes doesn't always get the love uh, from from like you know everybody that he should. But he is a very intelligent person, and he was noticing. During the and, and you know it'll be a little different come fight day, but he was noticing Connor during the press story. He's like his hips are very small. He called them model hips. He's yeah, got model yeah. hips. I don't know if you saw this video, but it it did open my eyes after I heard it. And he was like, he ain't got he ain't got enough junk in the in, in the trunk. And what he's like, what I, he don't got boxers trunk. And what he meant by that is you know obviously having the bottom or, or kind of your, your stomach of a, of a boxer, just having a lot of weight there because you're going to be taking punches there. Connor does have a really thin, he's almost shaped like a V, right? Like mm-hmm. kind of like you see the, the, the like models or like you see like bodybuilders. He is, his, his delts are very up and out. His, his straps are very up and out. And as you look smaller, kind of get smaller by the rib cage and smaller by the waist. And if, if I'm looking to target something, What's the weakest part of that of that frame? Oh, it's the body for sure. You know, without a doubt. Like, if I'm just looking at frames, and then if I'm putting a game plan together, okay, MMA people, they're not used to going to the body. He's not used to taking that damage. Gotcha. That's going to make me want to go there even more. So that really opened my eyes, and this was shortly after the uh, the press conference. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's uh, for sure. Body. That has now crossed my mind as a way for this to end, is body punches, like in the – Later round, say nine through eleven, for 100%, sure. Hundred percent. I I agree with you there, and I guess uh, it was making me click on some points of why I guess the Herrera thing uh, led me to that because in it, I um, and I I agree with that again as a as a as a, as a Southpaw guy who grew up watching boxing, came from karate. Uh, I carry that very similar stance to Connor, so that's why he caught my eye immediately. Right, I'm like, this guy's melding all the shit, even though he wasn't that effective with his kicks in MMA. Um, was more made his money with his punches. I was like, he's still kind of essentially melding everything, everything I like, um, minus the check right hook. Note that we'll come back to that in a second because I, I think the check right hook is going to be a big key for as far as Connor's keys to victory. But we're talking about Floyd here and the body, and um, and and again, as somebody like that uh, who's competed and and and. and you know, I've taken body shots pretty well, sadly, because I don't have a V-shaped hip. I'm a, I'm a Hawaiian. I've got that Samoan, <laughs> uh, you know, core, brother. But, but at the same time, you know, we joke like that Fighting Irish. For people, this is a podcast that they can't see. So just imagine the Fighting Irish logo. Everybody knows the Fighting Irish logo, right? And we all make fun of, you know, like Uriah Faber makes, uh, on the Ultimate Fighter. We, we all make fun of uh, Connor's posture. Like it looks like he's taking a crap or it looks like he's flexing or puffing up, right? But it's good for posture, it's good for this, it's good for that, and so on and so forth. But he almost fights like that fighting Irish guy that, for, for lack of a better visual here, just something, something to have in our head, um, where when you keep your body extended like that, you also have a harder time taking that shot. You're, less, you're, you, you're arguably less ready for it uh, as far as whether you're talking about uh, solar plexus diaphragm, getting the wind knocked out of you, something pinpoint like that, or just your general run-of-the-mill body shot that are attacking the side panels of your, you know, of your sidewall there. So that actually, you know, um, makes you more open. But since Connor knows distance very well, and he's also very long-legged and long-armed, he's able to do that move where you kind of fade away and get back, you know, when somebody tries to punch or kick, you know, at his body, he's able to kind of get away from that. But now you're in the boxing refrain, you're in the boxing world, you're in a boxing rules. Um, it's going to be much easier uh, to close that distance. So, it, it, it you know, and, and, and back to the Herrera thing, I guess the reason why bringing full circle with Connor's posture in mind, 
Herrera came into that fight really. Um, you see it in the, fir- the first couple rounds, too. He's coming in low. You're like, why isn't he just staying out there and putt- flicking his jab which, more? Which fight are you talking about? Uh, not her- not her- maybe not Herrera. Uh, um, it was after, uh, it was before Castillo. I mean, it was after Castillo. It was one oh, you talking about Carlos Hernandez? Hernan- Mayor Hernandez, he, the guy that beat his wife, the pregnant wife. It was like his first oh. big fight. They, they, were, they were supposed Diego to fight Cor- Diego Corrales. Cor- Diego Corrales. Cor- Corrales. I'm sorry. I'm talking about Herrera. Fucking, I'm talking. Wow. Okay, <laughs> like, I've been talking about Corrales this whole time. This, the six foot 135 guy. My bad. Yep, Diego rewind, Corrales. Rewind, sorry. People probably been screaming <laughs> at the podcast the whole time. Corrales. But uh, Corrales came in in that fight, and he's a taller guy. And you're wondering, why is, he, why is he not flicking his jab, using his length? And he's, he's more of a bigger body. And he came in with the awareness of his height. He's like, okay, I'm going to give him, I'm going to small in the target. I'm going to keep low. He's going to, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to maintain the posture to where it benefits me the most on paper and benefits Floyd the least. And that didn't work out for him. But you see throughout the fight that Floyd was the one controlling his posture, making him touching the top of his head or going low and was controlling his posture and controlling the footwork. So uh, I guess that was the point that I was seeing was that posture control. Of a, of, of a guy with a lot of range in, physically and skill-wise and what he was able to do and kind of dictate. Not just the footwork, not just the, the, the shots, not just the basic things, but that posture control, making him chain, control his level with a guy that that was like his main thing in training camp. He went in there and I'm going to fucking control this aspect and we're going to go from here. No matter what, my posture is going to be at an on-paper advantage for my frame and his frame and we're going from there, motherfuckers. And Floyd said, nope, I'm going to control your posture this whole <laughs> fight. And it's those little yes. things like that that, that tell me you know that, that 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 tell me a lot um, uh, potentially for this, but but it, it, I don't know. We, we, do you, you kind of see that comparison? Am I kind of crazy for that? I mean, you're obviously on no, the body no, no, shots no, no, as no. well, you're, but you're you're absolutely right. I mean, he's and and he he disguised everything from the range to to mask that Diego was going to have control of the range. Like he masked everything. He basically put up this front. Like yeah, you'll have control of the range. I'll let you think you're going to fight where you want the fight at. You want to come in close? I'll let you think we're going to fight in close. But, like, he would do these things and then disguise where he wanted where he wanted him to posture. Did he want him to go low? Was he going to throw the faint uh, hook to the head so that way his body could go low and then he'll right hand to the body? Or did he want to fake to the body and then have, you know, Diego Corrales posture up so he could hook him in the head and, and get a knockdown? He would fake the postures. He would... He would he would, man. It's 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 like chess. He he basically positioned him in. He's like, okay, you can't go this direction. You can't go this direction. I'm gonna make you think you're going in the direction that you want to go, but actually, it's the direction I've been setting you up for. Um, and so I totally agree. Again, it's a long way of saying I totally agree with what you're saying. <laughs> no, no, it's all good, brother. And this is actually a good transition point because um, excuse me, I'm burping on a nice uh, belching beaver. Phantom. Hey, that's not the first time anybody said that. Yeah, yeah. It says Deftones on here. I don't know what the band has to do with it. Maybe it's like the dude from Tools like making his own wine. Deftones are like getting into beer. But Deftones, Phantom of the Bride, Look India at, Pale Ale. There we go. Check out Chino. All right. You like you a Deftones fan at all by any chance? Blake, I'm a or? huge Deftones nice, fan. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my Own Summer is one of my favorite songs. Got uh, got the got that one of the hard albums. I the only hard albums I got of them actually is that one. That's like '97 oh. shit right there. I, I, I know it's yeah. <laughs> and um, I get the big one is what the White Pony, but my favorite was Diamond Eyes. That whole album was uh, for me. That's the one that really drugged me in, and then it made me do discography on them. So wow. I have a special place in my heart for that for that album. 
Well, cheers to you, brother. And that, <laughs> that transition was brought to you by Belch and Beaver Beer. Actually, it wasn't, but, you know, shout out to them anyway. Free advertising, you sons of bitches. Um, but, no, that's a good transition to, 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 to Connor just really quickly. We kind of, we kind of uh, you know, uh, fanboyed it out on as far as, you know, technically on Mayweather there and well-deserved. Um, but, but Connor essentially comes down to this for me, Blake. I think uppercuts will be a key punch for him, at least not maybe, you know, to, to win the fight, but at least to get the fight in his direction to counter uh, Mayweather's dips. Uh, I said it in, in Nate Diaz's fight too, but Nate Diaz is more for a taller guy. His, you know, right up jabs was going to kind of feed his target upwards so he could have that left hand. That's how he was kind of using the uppercuts, right? But Connor mm-hmm. actually has a really good left uppercut, a really good slip left uppercut. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, you, tr- traditionally it's something you hear, you know, the commentators call out for as far as possible things Mayweather's opponents could do because you know he so freely dips you know MMA fans will watch boxing and be like oh my god why are they dipping so low it's like well they don't have to worry about knees or head kicks that's the beauty of it you right know? so I think he's going to need that the problem though Blake and then this is where I'm going to bounce it to you the problem with not just the uppercuts but I, I think in the whole outline of this match is that Connor doesn't have a check right hook it's something that I've criticized him for even in MMA I think it's the most as, as a southpaw I believe it's the most important punch a southpaw can have and you know forensically you go look at the southpaws that did um, either have success with hitting Floyd or at least able to draw him into the left handed strike zone to land the left hand it's because they landed check right hooks early as you have to do because it's such a weird angle for an orthodox especially an orthodox boxer uh, especially one like Floyd that's not rote striker because he can improv but someone that's so muscle memory inclined that's such a hard angle to come by the problem is Connor you know as of yet we've seen him throw out leg kicks he never threw leg kick in how many 20 something fights and then he does for his rematch and that, <laughs> that, that, was, and that was the one thing that probably set him apart to win that match so I don't want to say never say never but it's the check right hook that's a big big thing for me do any of those notes the uppercut or the check right hooks touch with you uh, so I could see what you're saying with the uppercut because he throws it in practice a lot. I was just thinking about it the other day. I'm like, when's the last time he did damage though with it with the uppercut? It was Marcus Brimage in 2013. And then I was yeah. thinking even more. I was watching last week. I just kind of go on a whim. Actually, I was talking to Angelo Reyes. And we were talking about this other fight, uh, Philip Indu. Philip Indu was one of the guys Floyd Mayweather fight. I think it was his 32nd, 33rd, 34th, somewhere around that range fight. Philip Indu, though, was this kid from, like, South Africa, and, like, nobody really, like, knew a whole bunch about him. They didn't have, like, YouTube as various as they did now. He was only on HBO, like, once or twice. Like, nobody, you know, it was kind of, like, the Friday fights nobody really watched, but he was a champion, and he was very well known, even though he was orthodox, he was very well known for his uppercuts. His body frame is a lot like Connors. He's a hard 5'10", a soft 5'9". He, uh, his, 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 he was actually, an, his, his arms were an inch longer than Floyd's. So he had range on Floyd by, by two inches, which is what Connor's going to have on Floyd. Right. This guy was very well known for his uppercuts, though, more specifically the right uppercut, but he could throw a mean left uppercut, too. And even though he was orthodox, Floyd... Didn't even he didn't that wasn't even a thing that bothered him that fight he he because he would see when the range that he needed to be in to to get the uppercut thrown against him so he would just never be in he would never have his head that way I always say this Floyd's one of those guys he'll do what you let him get away with so if you let him if if you don't if you have the threat there he won't do it if you show him the threat but if he knows he can get away with it if he knows your threat's too too slow or if if you're not um, 
if, if you're not sure what to do with that threat, he'll just do whatever what he was going to do all night and disrupt that threat the whole time. So while it could be a thing, I just I don't know. Like I'd need to see more from Connor on it that's not on, you know, mitts or on a heavy bag. Now the right now you hit the nail on the head with that right hook because three of the four times that we've seen Floyd get rocked, well, all four times first off was a right hand. Right. You know, Madonna, Mosley, mm-hmm. uh, Zab Judah, and Demarcus Corley. It was all with the right hand. Three of those times, though, that really did Floyd in were right hooks. You know, uh, Shane Mosley's second punch was a right hook. Zab Judah was a right hook. And Demarcus Corley were, were right hooks. And the, of the two, Demarcus Corley and Zab Judah, let's even focus on those. Both of those guys were southpaws. And both of them have similar times when they throw the punches. They're both counter punches. One, uh, the Marcus Corley one, Floyd was trying to go to the head with his uh, left hook, and he missed. Boom, over the top, Demarcus Corley catches him in the second round or the third round with a right hook to the face that stumbles Floyd back. And then in the Zab Judah fight, which this was the fight right after, Floyd didn't make that mistake again, but he made a mistake of going to the body. He did basically a a long, a, like a darting, like a, a, a reaching right hand to the body. Um, and as he went in for that, Zab, Zab saw him, caught him with the right hook, and that's what sent Floyd stumbling. And what should have been his second knockdown of his career yes, was, yep. it wasn't, oh, counted as a, wasn't counted as 100%. a knockdown. And eh, it could have gone either way. But that's, that's key right there. I just pointed to, yeah. th- you know, three of the right hooks, two of them were from southpaws. And two of the times they caught him, the, each of those two times, um, it was Floyd. It was it basically Floyd was being countered at that moment. Now, since then, never had trouble with it from 100%, anybody. Percent, hundred percent, and and you know that's something to watch for. And I've never seen Connor throw those right hooks. It's like you exactly yes. you're saying. Never seen him really. No. I was I was trying to count how many times he was practicing with it. Didn't see a whole bunch of it. Whether it's for sure or for show or for not, I don't know. But I've never. I, I was watching his fights. I've never even seen him use his right hand to, like, knock down people. I've never seen that right hook really do a whole bunch. He really – his right hook is his is his kicks. He uses yeah, his right yeah. hook as his kicks. And, yeah. and it's just, man, I wish I could see that development of that skill, and I don't know if he's trained that right. I even did a video on this, too, as I'm speaking about it. Go check out Loudmouth Boxing, everybody, uh, talking about this exact thing. But – I, I can he develop it? I mean, I don't, I don't well, know. The, you know, that, that's what I'm interested in because it, I, I agree with all those criticisms and and all those numbers. It sounds like exaggerated, but it's actually pretty true. I mean, uh, obviously Connor does throw his right hand from up jabs to hooks and this that. You know, you know, you're not saying that he doesn't, and neither am I, uh, folks. But what we're saying is a lot of it's kind of window dressing, hand fighting. You know, carrying, mm-hmm. um, uh, look over here, kind of stuff, right? And it, it, it's just serving. It's just serving. Robin Black right calls hand. it the Robin Black calls it the flim flam. Perfect, exactly. There That's we go. perfectly Perfect it. That's shouts, exactly shouts what it to is. Robin Black. Shouts to Robin Black but, with the flim flam. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, you know, and and that's all. That's all I'm saying. And but the interesting thing is. Not only is it something to look for, because I don't think it, you have to imagine Connor knows this, and it doesn't take that much because it's one of the best shots uh, Southpaw can have for many reasons. Because even if you're ineffective or you're losing about, like you saw kind of uh, Zab Judah start to fade off toward the last of the rounds and stuff, but even if you just start throwing the check hook out there, if, if anything, 
it's a good disruptor at the very least. Gives them something to think about. That's why it's such a crucial shot, and that's why I'm so critical of southpaws who don't have it in their arsenal in MMA or boxing, just in general. It's, it's something you right. use as a, as a southpaw. But more, the best time to land it though is when you can bait an orthodox fighter who you're facing most of the time as a southpaw. You bait them into the right hand, where you know you're usually parrying jabs with your backhand as a uh, as an orthodox versus orthodox. But as a southpaw, you can kind of. Uh, you kind of can reach with your backhand, even though it's 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 a different mirror because now your 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 stances are completely switched. So now you're reaching back from your power hand, and you're almost reaching across, which is kind of like a no no. But sometimes you know you'll see boxers, and that's why I I would kind of pick it up and you do that to bait like oh he's vulnerable for the right hand, and you know you look vulnerable for the right hand, and as soon as they come with the right hand, you're slipping just to the left of it, and their momentum mm-hmm. is taken into the right hook. So if you're not a power puncher or that's not your punch, it doesn't take a, lo- a lot to like you said give Mayweather arguably his second unofficial knockdown of his career at the time. So another thing, kind of a, a second thought after that is we'll, we'll see if that, that, you know, whether he's working on it or not, that doesn't mean he's going to land it against freaking Floyd Mayweather. So right. I'm interested to see if, <laughs> if, if he does go back to MMA, if all these skills that he's accrued in this training camp, I'm more interested to see how those skills pay off from an MMA. Cause you they have to 100% will, students, you know? Yeah, for sure. 100,000% they will. It's going to, he's going to look even more amazing. And again, I'm a huge Conor fan, just not in this fight. And I think he's going to look even more amazing than we ever saw him when he goes back to MMA. Yep. And one last point on this May Mac thing before we jump. Uh, we're going to hit our break, by the way, folks listening in before we go to our uh, top five um, uh, boxers in MMA. But uh, we talked about the punches, but just one last thing on, on a Connor key to victory, something I see, and I'll, I'll let you kind of fin- fin- finish it off from there, is, is the space where this fight takes place. Now, it's no, it's no genius to know when you have a guy like Floyd who's technically superior, faster, all those things. You know, a, a guy who maybe uses the Philly shell a lot. Uh, you want a guy who's probably smaller than you. You want to get him in the corner. You want to get him to the ropes. And we've seen all the variations of, of these 49 men, right, try to get him to the ropes and implement their game, whether they're a volume puncher or a power puncher. It all kind of – all roads kind of lead to the same path in the general sense of the term. Now, more specifically, you look at uh, Castillo, the, you know, the, the, the fight where I, – I don't agree with Harold Letterman's scorecards, by the way, in that fight, but I did have Castillo – Winning by just one round with it being possibly a draw. It was how my official scorecard, I'll let you weigh in on that scorecard in a second. Note that. But more specifically, I point to that fight because the one thing, maybe not early you saw you saw Castillo get, get a little too excited. But whenever he got um, Mayweather to the specific part in the ropes. Now I'm going to equate this with M- MMA for our audience and just for easy, easier visualization. I often talk about the inner black octagon lines to the cage. And a lot of pressure fighters do their best work there. Because like, oh, I got my guy to the ropes. And we see that. So a lot of trainers when they're training MMA or train their fighters. Oh, when you see those black octagon lines underneath you, be careful. Because that cage is right behind you, son. And you could get trapped. And uh, Connor is one of those guys where... Most of this stuff from technique to even his stance, it falls into the zone of this argument where we have to wait to see it. We don't know. Whatever our, uh, advantages you could you could say uh, McGregor's unorthodox gives him, you can make that same uh, argument that it'll uh, favor Mayweather, right? So I'm not talking about that argument, which is most of the argument of this fight. But I'm talking about that specific space, Blake, because what we saw Castillo do and adjust to is that he kept his range there. He didn't rush in and crowd him. And he, he was okay. He wasn't just getting Floyd there with urgency, like, I got to keep him there. Because everybody feels like they have to keep Floyd there. You saw Castillo at a certain point says, I don't got to keep you there. I just got to throw when you're there. You can get away. I'll work you back there. That's fine. I'm not going to take that as a defeat. I just know 
it make it, I won't be able to keep you there, but you're going to give me one or two quality shots, and I'm going to fucking take those shots. I'm not going to crowd myself, and I'm going to take those shots. And it, it was the hard way. I mean, we saw how much shots Castillo had to take, and we saw how much ring he had to cover to earn himself those shots. But that is something that I see Connor specializing. Is there any... Is there any truth in that? Is there anything that came up in your analysis of this fight? Oh, no, absolutely. So my analysis says the best fighters that that do good against Floyd, they're not long-rangey fighters. They're not even southpaw fighters. They are, in fact, orthodox fighters, of course, who fight in a swarming style, who have a shorter range against Floyd. Mm-hmm. Don't believe me? Everybody just go do your homework. Emmanuel Augustus, even Floyd says that was his hardest fight ever. Yeah. Um Jose Luis Castillo, by the numbers, was his toughest fight. And, again, some people think he, Floyd lost the first fight. Um, Maidana won. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, Floyd might have lost that one. No, he really didn't. But go back and watch that. Um, and then even, you know, Cotto. You look at Cotto. A lot of people think that Floyd did way worse than he actually did. But they all have one similar trait. Even Oscar De La Hoya, by the numbers, they went to split decision. But if you rewatch the fight, Floyd did way better. But mm-hmm. they all did one thing specific. They all were swarmed, um, and, and they were all orthodox fighters. None of those guys were southpaws. And so I liked how you talk about that range because Floyd has made so many more adjustments since then. That used to be at one point in time. They, I think that used to be kind of a major uh, key to, to, to wanting to beat Floyd. Right. Carlos, Hernan- Carlos Hernandez did it. Jose Luis Castillo tried to take advantage of it in the fight two. Um, the Madonna did it in fight one. Um, the people, though, that took their time the same way that Jose Luis Castillo did, Oscar De La Hoya specifically, he gave he gave Floyd a little bit of space. He crowded him at moments, and then there were other moments where he kind of backed up like yeah. one or two paces, yeah. one and a half paces, because R- Roach was telling him, "Hey, hey, back off, let him come out, let him come out, you know, and then go out, and then and then let him come out." Cotto did the same thing. Okay, let him come out. Okay, I'm, I know I don't have to swarm you because I'm not a. I'm not that guy. I'm a very volume puncher, but I, I don't want to swarm you and get all caught up in your game. But he kept him there. Okay, one, two. Okay, kind of move a little bit over here. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. He tried to do again, but Floyd's already made these adjustments. And if people don't believe me, go back and watch the Manny Pacquiao fight. Manny Pacquiao tried to do the same thing, and Floyd was privy to it. And at no point in, in that fight, besides the one punch in the sixth round, did we think that I think Floyd was ever in trouble. The, again, Manny tried to do the same thing, and every time Manny tried to re-blitz or reposition himself to come in again, Floyd did the counter left hook, check left hook, and then went out. Check yep. left hook, dipped out. Check left hook, check left hook, dipped out. So he, I think he's he's kind of again. We talked about him being adaptable to situations by necessity. This is one of those things. So where I think that might have been a kryptonite, I don't know how big a piece of kryptonite that is anymore yeah you're right 100 percent. and you, for one you can tell my boxing uh my boxing fandom uh, as i said self-admittedly goes from an earlier day you could tell that knowledge comes out that oh yeah dan clearly hasn't been watching box last couple of years <laughs> no 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 i, I no uh, honestly give myself some credit, no you're though. good man uh give myself some credit yeah i'm definitely aware i uh, definitely don't want to take away from floyd he has um made adjustments since then you're completely right and, and but at the heart of it i guess that's why uh, I don't – even though my heart is with McGregor, but at the heart of the problem is why I don't favor him is because um, 
you know, again, forget all the negative space talk of uh, how's this, how is he going to be compared to a boxer, to a, a Conor McGregor slash MMA fighter. But at the heart of it, when you talk about at the heart of styles, pressure fighting, process guys, guys that are willing to take it, be patient and take it. Um, Conor isn't like that. He doesn't have those same things. I mean, he can pressure in that negative space. He can. He's really good at pressuring without doing anything. Another uh, tactic that Floyd, I think, doesn't also doesn't get enough credit at. You know, he, the, the pressure that he applies without doing anything. But but at the heart of it, he's not the same of these fighters. And speaking of adjustments, I know I'm, I'm, you know, using like Castillo or stuff that's kind of outdated. But even the quote-unquote outdated stuff tells me that Connor understands, uh, not Connor, but uh, Floyd understands southpaws more than people give it credit for. Which I never got that narrative of he had trouble with southpaws, <laughs> by the way. I never did but I never got that, by the way. But, uh, but, but, but you know, uh, because, for example... Um, Again, even though I did score it for Castillo, let's not forget Mayweather did legitimately uh, have an injury going into that fight, and you kind of saw signs of it early. He was verbalizing it right after the first round. You know what I'm saying? So, and and and, and he wasn't, you know, um, uh, even though he used that, you know, to, to sell the rematch and whatever, it wasn't using it in a fashion to take away from his opponent. It was a legitimate injury in, in Mayweather's defense. So what Mayweather does again, he doesn't get enough credit for. It's more of a criticism. But he's really good at bullshitting, you know. He's good at uh, the the term bullshitting. Uh, my man Connor Rebush used over there. Shout out to Connor. But he, uh, you know, making the judges and your opponent think you're doing a lot when you're maybe not doing quite so much, you know. Right. And uh, and you saw him doing that. And in the part of the bullshitting was he kept switching to southpaw. If you remember that, you know, because his left mm-hmm. shoulder was hurt, so he go to southpaw, give him excuse to throw the right hand lead, but but m- more so it would give him a chance to bullshit. But even in his bullshitting when he was hurt. It was like you could see him that he, you could almost see him like he was in practice in, in the practice room where he's like, today I'm going to work southpaw escape angles. <laughs> and right away he goes to like, like your coach is like, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to switch southpaw. And, you know, you just spilt the, spent the whole class drilling, exiting to the power side angle and exiting to the weak side angle and the proper ways to do both. Now I want you to go uh, one rep one side, one rep the other, switch with your partner. Like it almost felt like that, that he goes right now because <laughs> immediately he switches to southpaw and just demonstrates like the proper exit, what a Southpaw should do against the Orthodox this way, and now here's what a South. And he was like, he was giving them a tutorial on how Southpaws fight. <laughs> so for someone like me, when I see that stuff as a Southpaw, as an analyst uh, with something objective, objective in mind, I'm like, oh, he understood that shit like way back when. I doubt that went anywhere. Like, I mean, I'm right. timing slow, sure. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. I'm sure he slowed down a couple percent points in these last two years. I'm, I'm not saying he won't, but it was just those things, and I, I really appreciate it from his game. That's awesome. That's awesome. You notice that, man. And that's that's true. And he had a lot of injuries coming out of that fight. He had two broke hands or partially one hand, one hand broke, the other one partially fractured and then two hurt shoulders. And I think he broke his rib in that fight. So he came away with a whole mess of injuries from that first Castillo fight. So, again, I don't know. And he didn't take away. He was just like, I had a whole bunch of injuries. But Jose Luis Castillo, he hell of a fighter, you know, like he. Gave him his daps, man, and he never uh, walked away with like, oh, because of this and this. If anything, again, I like he does verbal flim flam. Mm-hmm. Where Connor does the real flim flam, he does verbal flim flam to make yep. you buy into. <laughs> and that was one of his first points where he did it. As great George Foreman said right after that fight, he goes, "This is what was missing in Floyd's career up until now." And we saw from then he took the ball. He run with it. We're here now. And my God, we just went 45 minutes. We just gave y'all, you tuned in for top five boxers of me. We just gave you probably one of the most in-depth technical uh, Mayweather-McGregor breakdowns out there. We didn't even try to, man. That's the truth. Wow. How about I love that, it, man. I love it too, I, man. 
<laughs> that's the beauty. I'm laughing. I love it. Oh, that's the beauty of having it on here. Genuine moments. And you just got yourself a two for one. But I tell you what, we're going to get back. We're going to get to the main course here. On this beat, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we will finally get to the top five <laughs> boxers in MMA right here on the Protect Connect podcast. And we're back right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast to some of the jams that, uh, well, you're accustomed to. It's the normal. It's the normal commercial break, but uh, my man Blake here was just telling me he appreciates the, uh, the the Desperado soundtrack from the last time to the From Dust Till Dawn special. He's a fan of good film, I see, Blake, huh? I am, man. Again, my favorite movie of all time is Casablanca, so that should say a lot, man. Oh, so you got some deep pool. I might have to have you back on here already. I'm, I'm, I vibe with Blake on so many levels now. I'm on vibe so many, man. Hey, uh, to keep this uh, to keep this friendly, uh, keep keep this you know beer friendly. I'm gonna crack this right on stage. Cheers to you, man. Thanks for coming on today, and thanks for Cheers listening. Cheers to people. you, sir. Cheers to the listeners, I should say too. Cheers. <laughs> All right. All right, man. So we're doing top five boxers in MMA, and I was almost, you know, it, th- thankfully I was talking to you ahead of the time when we were planning this episode, which we don't tell each other the list. N- n- none of these episodes we do, if you know the format here, but. Uh, I was getting a little overcomplicated with this. I think it was like something like punchers or something. So I was like, uh, well, I don't want yeah. people to think about think it's literal boxers because we've had like you know guys like fucking James Tony try to get come in their hand, which that, that could be on a list. I don't want to talk more about that. It's not on mine, but whatever. Spoiler. But um, but you know what I'm saying. But I'm like, no, it makes sense. Top five boxers in MMA, and I of course I you know reiterated that on social media is like from boxing stylists, guys who have boxing bases to come over to power punchers who just love to throw them fucking hands. You know what I'm saying? Like. I, I, this is a very forgivable topic. I don't think even the snobs that I can be myself or the snobs that may listen to this, I don't think we're going to be going hardcore on each other here. We all get it. And again, if you're familiar with the top five episodes, creativity is not only welcome or not only okay, but it's welcome. Like, it's encouraged. So if you want to get crazy on your list, Blake, we're, and then we'll after we do our list, we'll get to submissions <laughs> and transitions. You know, y'all want to get crazy on your list. That's totally I okay. felt like there were so many ways you can interpret it, which mm-hmm. is beautiful because it's just like, what do I want to focus on? And I'm sure you got your criteria when you heard boxing in your head, and I had mine, and I think the listeners and if anybody sent theirs in, they're going to fucking, they're going to have their own ideas. And it, there's... Not really any wrong answers. It's just like, okay, what are you looking for when you watch fights and you think boxing? I think that's really what it comes down to. A hundred percent. And, you know, part of it, because I think we appreciate a lot of the same boxers, and part of it because I'm just a damn contrarian and hipster, but uh, these episodes are also good, and broad topics, like you said, are, are also good, not just for being a broad topic, but it allows you to maybe talk about fighters that you don't normally get a chance to talk about. So I kind of dusted off you from... Kind of, well, again, something, you know, I just kind of, uh, w- w- talking about boxing, you can kind of tell which era I was a fan of just by our conversation. Well, I think when we get done with our list today, you're going to be able to tell, like, what era I came up watching MMA at. Put it that way, if that's a, if that's a cheat into the list. But did you have fun putting your list together, Blake? Uh, yeah, I, I really did. And it came to me really quick, minus the last minute, minus my, the, my last one, my number five. But besides that, it really came to me really quick because I had a really good idea 
of when I when I heard you say punchers and boxing, and I'm like, okay, so boxer, and you're like, yeah, 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 boxing. So just like, yeah, I was like, okay, list done. Like, and I have some very good reasons behind a lot of them. Again, coming from my interpretation of what I think boxing is and MMA. So awesome, man, awesome. Well, um, we can change up the order. Sometimes we do early, late, or not at all. But uh, I always like to let at least let the guests go first, especially someone like you. You know the format here. You listen. We we've been on each other's shows, so uh, yes, you, sir. You know the format, sir. So I, I'm going to let you kick it off. But yes, again, um, whatever we don't get to, we'll have submissions in transition, and whatever's left off, of course, we will have honorable mention. So there's always room for that. But uh, we're going to go five to one as normal. So Blake, sir, what is your number five boxer in MMA for you? Number five, I have Anna Hooliton. Nice again, shout out to my boy Angelo Reyes. Um, love Angelo, man. Me and him have been in contact for the last, I'd say, last month, month and a half or so, um, and we just talk nonstop, talk boxing all throughout the week. And so he's really turned me on to Anna Hooliton. And if anybody doesn't know who that is, again, she was, you know, one of the man. Let me just, let me just. Okay, she's two and two. If you look in MMA. But, like, that's way more deceiving than what it should be. Um, her boxing record, again, I mean, well, I should not say, say her record, you know. But the, the titles that she's had in boxing, they're very prestigious. WBO and IBA, those are two of the most prestigious titles you can have in, in boxing. And, again, I mean, 100%. she's 14-4 and four in, 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 in pro boxing and 2-2 and two and two in MMA. So, again, not the best record, but I feel like, again— when I thought of this list, I thought, and the re- one of the reasons I chose her was, it's like, if you were to strip away everything that the fight is in MMA and just go hand for hands against somebody, and you knew that they were going to throw kicks, and you're not going to throw kicks, and they were going to do wrestling, and you're not going to do wrestling, hand for hands, what you got? And I felt like she deserves to be on this list after all of her accolades. I chose her over Holly Holm, too, just because I feel like Holly's been more... Um, she's been more reliant on her kicks to do a lot of her dirty mm-hmm. work, the work that she, her hands could never do as far as knockout power goes. But Anna Hooliton, somebody that stayed true, you can always see what her hands do, even when she, even when she loses. Like in one of you guys, there's a uh, one of her later uh, last fights that she's had. She lost by decision, but it's just like you can see the hand technique is there, man. Like it is undeniable, and you just watch a highlight video of her boxing. And you're just like, oh, bro. And I mean, coming up with, you know, Angela Reyes as she did, and coming up into the wild card gym, like, it's it's super evident. Like, she deserves to be on this list. So I got Anna Hulton for number five, man. I'm really glad you brought it up. A for one, I got written on here in my show notes for <laughs> shout outs. Uh, Kate, Kate Schneider's show, my boys, not just just Angela. Y'all know uh, he's my brother from another mother, but Jeremy Long too, and 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 Anna Hulton, my sister. I gave her a shout out earlier for her work uh, this week with uh, Riker over there at a Boxing Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, shout at her. She's been on my Twitter timeline a lot lately, and rightfully so. And uh, you know, not saying too much, but uh, she could be a name that uh, this could be looked at as a from Blake as a nice preemptive pick there kind of ahead of his time pick with things that may be coming up again i don't i honestly don't know but even what i don't know i don't want to say put it that way but let's just say we might more people might be familiar with anna huluton in these next couple uh years here and uh so so big shout outs to her and then big shout outs to the ladies too because as you're talking blake i'm thinking you know it is true because your pick there again two and two is not impressive in mma if we're judging by like you know, um, other criteria that'll probably come up here in, in, throughout both of our lists. But you want to talk as far as boxers go? 
boxers aside from like you know the James Tonys or the Mayorgas who tried to do like stunts or versions of stunts you know in the crossovers we're talking about people who actually came over with MMA the, the attention the humble intention to work do all the work needed they've been women man not just in boxing because Holly Holm though I would put you know Anna above that uh, for the same reasons as you did sir but Holly Holm is, is up there as far as you know um, even though you could you could argue sure is a little padded and maybe inflated uh, the the credence some might some pundits might give her her record her record but her background and then how she's applied herself going through legacy the regional shows you know taking it seriously working her way up there fighting the fights that people thought were too soon for her like Ronda Rousey you know and then to my of course my dark horse my fucking girl Valentina Shevchenko you know to uh Joanna Jacek who's beloved but Shevchenko beat three times in Muay Thai those are legitimate you know um uh, those are legitimate organizations and Muay Thai organizations too. I mean, the, the competition were they that deep? Of course, you know, of course not. That's the problem with all female combat sports inherently. You know, the sample size is going to be different. But as far as credentialed strikers who take their time and go, when you think about it, man, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just talking. I'm talking out loud here. I'm thinking out loud here, Blake. But I think the females show more seriousness in that regard than the males when you think about it, right? Because I think so. I think you're absolutely right with that, right there. Because even when the males, like even the K1 guys, who that's kind of a little closer through the Japanese connection, opening the doors to Pride back in the day. So MMA and K1 kind of became an exclusive thing to Bellator and stuff, trying to incorporate into their shows. So there's even a loose connection there. But even with those guys, even though they're training in half the same gyms, coming up in the same disciplines, you even see those quote-unquote strikers when they come over to MMA. Like when they get taken to the ground, like you don't expect them to have a world-class ground game, but you're like, this motherfucker probably barely even trained the ground game. This is pathetic. You know, like you see that so many times. And that's even like in 2017 high level where males have all these advantages over females culturally, biologically, sociologically, environmentally, right? They have all these advantages on paper over females and they're fucking taking it lightly. The strikers are right. over. But you, uh, again, shouts to the females there. Shouts to them female strikers for taking shouts it Shouts to them seriously. females. All right. My, right, my number five is um, not a female. <laughs> but uh, my <laughs> all num- that said, we're moving to guys. <laughs> my number five is, is is almost equally as hipster though in a different way, and this is going to kind of show where my my fandom is. And this is just this could be a theme that's going to be kind of prevalent in my list. People who, when they showed up, they weren't didn't matter they were the best fighters. Even in their prime, there was no there probably wasn't hope that they were going to be a title challenger. And a lot of people on this list, but what you knew, especially as an MMA fan. And, and, and even as a fan who preferred the technical stuff like me, like, I didn't need the stand and bang to be happy. But when you got those fighters that were going to throw them fucking hands every time, no matter what, <laughs> you got excited. It was all, especially these fighters that were like, again, not the title challengers because they provided the gems on the undercard leading you up, especially the UFC in its less saturated days. And one of those fighters was the Irish hand grenade, Marcus Davis. Marcus Davis. Who was yet one of the, one of the, one of the uh, guys with the legitimate or you know at least compared to the mma sample size a legitimate boxing background as in he actually boxed because <laughs> that was the qualifiers right at a certain point in MMA, <laughs> a legitimate boxing background was at least you at least had amateur fights if not pro uh marcus davis of course came up doing the school he had both trained by mark della gratte and then also i believe did work at uh was f1 boxing either way peter welsh there in the uh, new england massachusetts area smart feet smart fighter 
And uh, Marcus <laughs> Davis always came out there, man. UFC 80 rapid fire. I think Jesse Leodon just icing him with the with the left hand there. And uh, oh my God, just yeah. I mean, just you always knew it was gonna be a fight. I mean, even you hear Mark Delagradi pumping him out like Marcus. He's trying to take fucking money from your kids, Marcus. From <laughs> your fucking kids. Like this Throw is the fucking right, Marcus. So yeah. right, Marcus. <laughs> and he comes out with this fucking like Irish uh, Irish kilt thing and uh, yeah. Do you got yeah, anything to man. say on Marcus Davis, my Blake? I I loved Marcus Davis, and I felt like I got in when I got into Marcus Davis. He was slowly coming fizzling down. Yes, and yes. so I had to go back to watch him. I I got into him. I think the first fight I ever saw him on was UFC ninety nine, and he fought Dan Hardy, if I want yeah. to remember correctly. And but again, I was a huge Marcus Davis. I went to go watch all of his highlights, and I could obviously see him. I was watching. I remember watching MMA Live when it was on ESPN back in the day, and they were showing all of his highlights. And I was just like, oh, my God, I love this guy. And uh, I just felt like I got into him, you know, as he was kind of tapering off. But he was always one of those exciting guys. I totally agree with you. Had hands, had a background, and you knew he was coming to try and, and, and hit you with one of, them, one of them bows right in the fucking face, man. Hundred percent, man, and oh, you you nailed it. It was on the downside because that was Marcus Davis's last run, if you remember correctly. And there was a big buildup because he was on a couple fight, I think a three or four fight win streak, which was big. Yeah, that was huge back then, um, especially at welterweight where it was like killer. It was just a murderer's row that George St. Pierre was on top of at the time. But if you remember, that was one of the first big bad blood social media battles where like. Dan Hardy as Buddhist, and this was before he had his DMT trips and come to Jesus moments. Like Dan Hardy was, I loved him. I even loved him when he first came on the scene because he's one of the few guys who loved Ninja Turtles and came, you know, trained at the Shaolin Temple the same year I did. Another story, another time. But um, Dan Hardy was was an asshole in the lead up of that fight, man. I mean, like, he put such vicious like social media stuff out there to where like Marcus's kids were coming home crying, getting bullied from school, and like Marcus Davis, you could tell like you, you there was never a time like I never bought into it. The Chuck Tito, any of the the bad blood, like I never really bought into it, Blake. To be honest, that, that even even to, since then, but even then, in my heart of my fandom. But boy, did I believe into it where it was one of those times where I'm like, if Marcus Davis hurts Dan Hardy, that ref needs to pull Marcus off like, immediately because <laughs> immediately. Marcus wa- is, is going in this and wanting to hurt the guy. And, and I again, I was a Dan Hardy fan when he first came in as well, so I was a little bit torn. But I was definitely, you know, because y- y'all know if you listen to this podcast, Dan Tom's sensibilities there toward, you know, I'm always going to go against the bully and, 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 and anything. That's my bias. So, of course, I was on Davis's side. And that being said, I wasn't angry at Dan Hardy, but I felt for Marcus Davis, boy, when he lost that fight, you could see it. You could see how bad he wanted because he was getting knocked down, outclassed. His eye was swollen up. And, uh, and yeah, man, and on that note, before we jump to number four, the first time I saw Marcus Davis live uh, was at UFC 125, one of the best lightweight fights of all time, by oh, the way, Frankie wow. uh, Edgar, Gray Maynard, too. But um, it was uh, Marcus Davis made a jump to lightweight to try to save his career because he lost a bunch of welterweight since that UFC mm-hmm. 99 when you saw him, Blake. And he fought Jeremy Stevens and got knocked out, and that was rough. That was rough to see. Because he was winning that fight, too. He was winning the whole fight and then gets knocked out in the third round. Like, he's outpointing him, boxing him yep. up, and then just gets knocked out in the third round. Oh, Jeremy Stevens with that with that little heathen power, man. That third round KO uh, he does, right? Yeah, yeah. What are you gonna do though? You know, but that that's definitely a great pick, man. I, I could totally see why he's on there. Well well you wanna keep the party rolling, Blake, and give us your number four, sir. You cool Fuck yeah, first? dude. Right, Fuck yeah, right. dude. I got my man again another less I'm gonna build my way up, go lesser known as I get to more known, and you'll see this. My man, my boy, I've had him on, on Loudmouth Boxing, my boy Justin Ledette. 
Oh, shit. Uh, UFC heavyweight, for those that don't know. And and he's had two fights in UFC. But just go back and watch the Chase Sherman fight. Again, I talked – again, the part of the reason I had I had the list compartmentalized, I didn't want – you know, you know, it's like, well, should I put Vanderlei on there? Well, no, I don't want to put Vanderlei on there because, like, he just throw a whole bunch of hooks and just – it was not the best technique. And it's just so – technique had to go into my picking along with uh, if they just took away all the strikes – Hand for hand, how would you do? And you got to see it in that fight. Like, Justin Ledette really just owned the whole fight with one-twos, using the jab. He's a professional boxer, too. He hasn't retired from there, and he's 5-0. and um, and, and he's undefeated in MMA. I think he's 7-0 and or 9-0 and or something like that. Uh, he's got a really good – really good. it might even be 8-0, and but somewhere between that range. He's got a really good record. He's undefeated, and some of those are even by submission, which is crazy as fuck. Uh, so he's got the well-rounded skills, but, like – Watch the Chase Sherman fight. It's a thing of beauty. Your dog agrees. Does um, he agrees? He's like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's he's the Chase Sherman fight. The one twos, the jab. That that boy Justin Ledet, as he climbs the ranks, which is easy to do at heavyweight. He is a force to be reckoned with. So Justin Ledet, man, just if you just no other fight, just the Chase Sherman fight. Thing of fucking beauty, man. Hundred percent, man. And again, a little bit of a little bit of a newer pick, but I think we're going to look back, especially with you look at Ledet, the division he's in, his age, and where his kind of heads at. It seems you know a, a sharper guy than you might think, and I think he knows that he he, he if he you know keeps developing, he's going to have himself a spot at least at the very least in the division. And you want to talk about you know uh, boxing or boxers in MMA? Well, why not have a, someone on the list? Who's shouting boxing more than anybody off the top of his lungs, off every interview to the shirts that he's wearing? Like, he's the guy. I have him on my honorable mentions list just for that. He didn't make my list, but goddamn, is he, he's, he's worth it because I, I instantly became a fan of this guy. Instantly became a fan of this guy. I'm also a big fan of the jab, which is something that he seems to want to prove through his performances. And I got, yes. I got no qualms with that. No qualms with that. <laughs> I love it. Who'd you got number four, man? All right. My number four is um, another guy that hangs out in a similar division. Although, even though this guy fought at heavyweight and light heavyweight, he arguably should be a middleweight. And that's right. I'm talking about Fabio fucking Maldonado. Mm. The guy who looks like one part of the Ginyu Forest with this fucking weird <laughs> shaved head with the fucking sprinkles off the top. That's right. Uh, a guy who... Yeah, a little pineapple head. Yeah. Yes. Oh, pineapple. Perfect. <laughs> I like that pineapple head. But you always knew he was going to come out and swing no matter what detriment it was to his face, no matter how much of a prospect he had on his hands, uh, what part of the world he was in, you know, Deadly Russia, he was going to come in and, and give it a go. And Fabio Maldonado is my, my number four, my man. But, mm-hmm. but, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he, 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 uh, he might not have seen the best of days, and his days are def- best days, I should say, are definitely behind him. But, like, you just go back, if people are not familiar, go back on Fight Pass, go watch any of his fights and win or loss. He, he does his very damnedest to make it entertaining and bring the fist fight to the audience. So uh, he, he makes my list for my number four. I love that, man. That's a good one right there. Yeah, especially go back and watch, you know, really any of his fights, man. I mean, he, he is fearless. And then that, that just the, the Fedor one, even though he quote unquote lost that one. I mean, you see, man, hands for days, man. That's a good pick. I didn't even think of him, man. I like that one. He almost, you know, he almost slipped my mind, but uh, I forget what fighter I was studying recently. And uh, he came up in the cross section and, uh, 
you know, I definitely had some love. I had to put Fabio in my mental bank. I had to file him away for any kind of topic like this. And there's a couple fighters which are on my honorable mentions list. The reason why they didn't make this list, uh, I'll probably get to them on there and explain why, because they'll probably be more appropriate for, you know, future lists we do in this year's show. But, uh, but yeah, man, uh, number three, uh, I guess I'll switch things up. We'll just do a quick, quick U-turn. I guess I'll, I'll double dip and kick us off if you don't mind, Blake. All right, well, I'm gonna go, go for it, my man. I'm going to kick off number three. This one maybe come off weird because this guy's a wrestler, man. This guy is a wrestler, but he's making my top five boxers in MMA because not just the comparisons that uh, you can make to other boxers, which I'll touch here in a second, from his footwork to his punches, but this is a guy who makes it more toward – this is more kind of a, 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 a esoteric perspective here, but – he represents boxing more in the sense of ring generalship, uh, winning terms of a fight. Not your typical one, gen- ring generalship, because MMA it's inconsistent as fuck in, in 2017. But for for a long for a long time, the judges condi- conditioned us all of the Diego Sanchez example I give that in MMA a lot of times forward pressure, even if you're hitting the fucking air, will win you a round. In boxing, it's not the same. It's a complete opposite perspective, which is why I think Mayweather gets a lot of. Criticism for the from the MMA or the general fan because they don't realize you can get ring generalship slash win around by throwing the less punches and even moving backwards more. Just depending on how you do it and if you're dictating the terms in general, people have a hard time understanding that concept though. So off those kind of you know very uh, very specific weird uh, esque uh, kind of kind of terms. Dominic fucking Cruz makes my number three boxers in MMA. You know, from, by the way, shout out to BJJ Scout. Go look at, they actually show a really good uh, example in Dominic Cruz study. I don't know how many they did. I just watched part one, like, uh, a year or two ago. and uh, They have, never, a, they have like, a five-part series on the Holy guy, and I love shit. him. I love it. I've Holy watched every shit. single one. I probably have them downloaded. They are amazing on this guy. I love – go into this one. I want to hear your thoughts, but go well, ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually – I was about to say I want to hear your thoughts, but I'll finish up mine quickly because I, I have a feeling you're going to be on me with this, especially as, as a Mayweather fan. You can appreciate a guy like Cruz because I believe he's he, he is the similar version in MMA and the fact of not just ring generalship by being able to win a round by going backwards. Like people that watch boxing probably – I'm not saying it wasn't a close fight. I absolutely believe TJ Dillashaw and Dominic Cruz was a close fight, but I – I guess I've more comfortably scored it for Cruz than most because I look at it more from that boxing perspective, especially when you have a fight that mainly takes place in the feet. It's a little easier to. It's not necessarily the wrong thing where we criticize boxing judges in MMA. That was more of a fight that I felt like, felt like a boxing fight. But anyways, I, I just, you know, for those reasons, like you said, the, the, the BJJ um, scout study, they show the comparisons to one of my favorites, Muhammad Ali, you know, the feints, the stepping, getting people to, to throw. And then back to the comparison I was saying where McGregor and Mayweather kind of are alike in their movement. Um, it's more of just the economy of movement. Like, for example, even though McGregor's more flim-flam, Mayweather does similar things. He's just more boxing. It's more technical, you know? If he slips, he always has the left hook in mind and loaded. If he throws his lead right that he's known for, he has his left hook as a backup, which was a brilliant adjustment how you were talking about how everything in Mayweather game, this game built. He had, oh, he was left hook happy and had broken hands early on in his career? Fine. I'll develop the right hand, and now my plan A, which was keeping me undefeated, the left hand, is a plan B. So now I've just fucking doubled the strength of my plan on paper, 
and I've upped my safety. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like, you see Dominic Cruz doing the same thing, except he's incorporating shots to his level change, you know? Like, I think Mayweather would be a great MMA fighter if he, if he got into it, if he had a time machine. I would just teach him as a coach, because he already, when he slips, even when he's close in, you'll see him, like, slip out, and he'll keep his head, like, attached to... You know, when it's a real close slip in the clinch, he'll keep his ear attached to the rib. Look, we're still talking about Mayweather. <laughs> he'll keep his left ear attached to the rib as he slides <laughs> and kind of slips out the other way. Kind of like a fighter going to take someone's back in a body lock clinch. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just give, like, Mayweather a couple tools and he can, like, you know, get out of tight spots and score rounds and win rounds if he was, like, you know, put him in a time machine and put him in the MMA game. Neither here nor there. Dominic Cruz does that. He, in my opinion is the Mayweather of the game. And his record uh, for MMA standards especially reflects Amazing. That. So that's my number three. What, what, you got, what you got love for Dominic Cruz there, Blake? I don't want to touch too much on it because he's actually on my list. Oh, this, he's not number three. Oh, shit. Well, let's... Uh, <laughs> well, this is fine. This is what, this is what happens. Yeah. When I say when we have crossover, I didn't say it in the beginning. We, we usually go ahead and double dip. So... Um, you know, uh, you can. I'm gonna you, save. You, I'm gonna save can, him, but I'm gonna go to my number three. Okay, all right, all right. How about that? Okay, we can just go to number three, but save him. Save your thoughts there. Then, then don't give your thoughts. Then, okay. What's your number okay, three? My, then my number three is Nate Diaz, mm. and for 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 obvious reasons, I mean, I'm not a Diaz fan. I'm gonna be honest, but both of them, I'm not a Diaz fan. But I think that the, I think his boxing's better than his brother's, and I think he's more talented than his brother with a shittier record or. Maybe they have similar records as far as, like, percentage-wise. But, like, dude, he's amazing on the feet. And you talk about a guy with ring generalship, he will make you fight a fight that you don't want to fight. He will he will make you be in positions where you think that you weren't going to be in. Let's let's think about some of the, the prime examples. Uh, Gray Maynard, the, the last one for sure, right? Like, the, didn't they fight like two or three times or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that last one where he just knocked him out on the feet. And I'm sure Gray, his, his mindset's not being on hands. And if it is, I'm going to knock you out with my hands. Uh, nope, try again, motherfucker. Um, so that alone, I was just like, oh, my God. The one that sticks out for me is the Michael Johnson fight. Yes. Because, you know, he was so successful on, with hands. Like... Not to say he never has been, but like he was so successful with implementing his game plan and then also just one, two, just keeping it basic. Like he he is basic. He and he understands him and his brother seem to have this really good understanding of volumetric punches with low intent, low intensity volumetric punches, punches. So what I mean by that for people that don't know, it's a fancy term for they're not putting everything into all their punches, but they're throwing a lot of them. So they're throwing a bunch of 60-60. All of a sudden, there's 100 and 100, and then there's 60-60-60. And they're just doing what they want. They're manipulating you like clay to get you in the position where they feel most comfortable to do the most damage. And that's a lot of what he does, even against McGregor in both fights. Like, he was doing these things just kind of 60%, even the little slaps. Like, I understand these little nuances where not everything has to be full power, but they understand how to dip their head. They understand that the volume the the not everything has to be 100 and i think just that's just a small thing because you when you're hitting mitts a lot of the time you know coaches are like come on more power more power they want you to hit with more power faster but in boxing it's a little bit different like if you and i know you have just like i have but in boxing not everything has to be don't throw this combo i want you to you know i've even done these next few combos just throw it with like not full power let's just get you fast and and it's more of just building 
um, a proficiency so that way you don't gas, which these guys rarely ever do, if 100%. only for a moment. And so it adds – it's just one little thing that adds up to another little thing. And you can see their head movements. You can see their footwork. And they make you fight their game. Uh, but Nate Diaz uh, more over his brother, so uh, Nick. So, yeah, Nate's on my list for fucking sure, man. I'm glad you brought him up. I actually left both brothers on my list. As a fan, I could probably justify to put any of them on any <laughs> list. I'll find a fucking reason. But I also saw, you know, as being an admin, I'll try to post it the day of because I don't want it to. I'll usually do it the day of because I'll have a, my guest tagged and I don't want me or my guest list to be over inundated with other people's ideas because you kind of want to come up with your own list, I'm sure, you know. So I usually do it the day of. But I did see a lot of, of Nick and Nate Diaz's. So I was like, well, it'll be on. Uh, the honorable mentions, anyways. If not, um, I'm, excuse me. Belch and Beaver should be changed to Hiccup Beaver. But Dan, you hiccup every show. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Shut <laughs> up. Maybe I do. Even when I don't drink, I hiccup. Actually, it's funny. I listen to shows. I'm like, I'm hiccuping and I'm not even drinking here. But uh, but you know, I figured we'd have an excuse to talk about it. But that being said, I'm glad you said Nate because I'm with you. Uh, I was a Nick fan before a Nate fan, just because knowing Nick first. You know, coming up uh, the time I watched the sport, obviously. But I mean, like. It, I agree with you. I think Nate's more impressed, especially with the body of work. It's a little more obvious, more body work, more relevant. But, yeah, what he shows, the tempo changes. You know, that one-two that, you know, everybody knows it for it tagged McGregor. But he was showing in that Michael Johnson fight, and he was developing it before then. You know, that and something that I, as a Southpaw, even as – forget Southpaw, Orthodox, you just it's, it's, you do it. It's, it's the tempo change, that jab cross where it's like a, like a cobra, that jab cross continuum where instead of one-two, it's one-two. One, two, the rhythm. One, yeah. two, one, two, one, and it's those rhythm changes. And people, if you don't know those those rhythm changes, then it just looks like oh, he's being lazy with his hands. Like you don't understand. Like yes, fundamentally, being lazy with your hands and not retracting your strikes opens you up to getting hit. And Nate Diaz gets hit a lot. Like that, 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 that is a truth. But even when you're tight, if you're just a volume striker by nature, you're also going to get hit a lot. So how much of it is because he's a volume in your face fighter? How much of it is because of the quote-unquote lazy hand retractions that, you know, common fans will be like, oh, because this is the thing that came up too. Even people that, uh, you know, I respect will say that the argument for maybe not having them on this list will be like, well, their technique's not great. You know, yeah, they do boxing, but their technique's not great. And I would argue that it may not look aesthetically pleasing or fundamentally incorrect, even on certain levels as far as strike retractions, but... I think people don't understand the, the nuances where the pros versus cons is, is, is much greater. Yeah, a, a bad strike retraction might look lazy, but you know what? It also offers less distance to travel to repeat shots, which you want to repeat shots if you're a volume striker and you're not a power puncher like the right. Diaz brothers are. And also, leaving your shot off at a funny angle and then coming back at another angle creates an unorthodox angle that your defenses aren't going to be triggered for. So, you know, when you're you like, like Floyd doing his jab from the Philly shell, it's going to come from an upward different angle than your traditional jab that maybe you're used to it's kind of that same that same concept in theory not different different technique but yeah also in the sense that you know if you're touching like say he leaves his jab out or his his his, uh you know his power hand out just a little too long he can actually feel he no longer has to use hand eye coordination he can actually feel or i guess it is hand he doesn't use his eye coordination he can use his hand coordination to feel when you're about to move Mm -hmm. and strike back and that way he can get out of position, and he knows he knows which hand you're going to throw it. You know, if it's going to be your right or your left, he can, they can kind of feel because your hand's up for guarding. And so the moment one leaves, 
he can just kind of feel it because his hand's still very close to your defense. So 100%. It, it's a little new, little nuance as well. It yeah. doesn't look good in MMA in boxing. These are like boxing one hundred and one things. Yeah, yeah, and and we just I think just did three layers off the top of the uh, top of our head versus the one negative. I'll add a fourth layer to that. That feeling that Blake's talking about. It also offers as a visual shield. You'll see. I hate to bring him up again, but Mayweather does it. Whether it's his hand or he does it with his elbow. You don't see mm-hmm. the shot with his right hand coming back. Tommy Hearns obviously real famous for that. Uh, there's a technical term that I'm missing. For it, forgive me, but yeah, I mean, it, it also shields their eyes from your return shots or just shots you just want to hit them with. So yeah, there's a lot of purposes to that shit, and it's, it's great. It, 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 it's great. I'm glad you. I'm glad you got Nate on, on your uh, number three, I believe. Yeah. Yes, sir, All man. Right. Who's going number two? Me or you? Um, shoot, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you uh, go first, last, unless you uh, want to go first with this number two. I'll let you pick. You want to go first, number two, or number number one? You want to close us out? Uh, I'll, I'll go number two right now. I'll keep, I'll keep the ball in keep my court. Keep the ball in your court. There we go. Sounds uh, good. I'm going to go Frankie Edgar, man. Frankie nice. Edgar for my number two. Bro. Nice. I, I, again, I, all these guys, they all have a lot of things in common. Great jabs. Uh, but, again, if you stripped away everything that they do well and just left them with hands, they would still do well. Frankie Edgar is one of those guys, man. He doesn't need his wrestling for his boxing. He doesn't need his boxing for his wrestling. He can do either or with with without each other, and he's mixed them in great. But focusing solely on the boxing, he does these beautiful manipulations of, again, we were talking about Floyd and Diego Corrales going to the body, going to the head. He does these beautiful manipulations of making you guess, is he going top? Is he going low? Is he going high? Is he going low? Is he going to go low, low? Is he going to go high, high? What's he going to do? And so he does these good volume changes. And Uriah Faber does it to a degree, to a real simplistic degree, where he makes you faint like he's going to go for a takedown and throws the overhand, right? Like, everybody knows that. But, like, Frankie Edgar does it with jabs, and Frankie Edgar does it with hooks, and Frankie Edgar does it in volume, and Frankie Edgar sticks to boxing a lot of the times when he does it. You think he's going to go for takedowns, and he doesn't. He just, he's volume, he's maximizing the volume of his punches by switching your target, the targets up and down, up and down. And that, for me, is just a beautiful thing. And also the jab, also, we talk about footwork, but it's it's more the positioning of his body to always be um, as a as an attacker, and then immediately to for him to be in a great position for him to jump out of the way. He does a lot of the leaps, those the boxing leaps, or even in Muay Thai, you see a lot of Muay Thai leaping. It's just a leaping into in the, in the back. It's not necessarily stepping or, or you know crossing the legs like he keeps his feet in great position to be able to go in and out to blitz in and out and and i mean it's just it's just beautiful the things that he does so a lot of those reasons again it's not i didn't go i hope i didn't go too nerdy but i guess this is a podcast to do it on yes but just the, the up and down right right that makes makes martial analyst right all right uh but he goes up and down in and out great great not just footwork but great positioning for him to attack and not be attacked at the same time. It's just, he does a lot of beautiful things, man. Dude, I'm glad you had him on. I'm a big Frank Yeager fan. I'm glad you had him on the list. He's here, <laughs> he's here on my list, but as an honorable mention, uh, more than justified to have a spot. So I'm glad you made room for Frankie. I can't touch on much more than that, man. What made me a believer, I was, I was honestly a big Frank Yeager fan, despite him uh, you know, beating one of my favorite fighters. But beating that favorite fighter, BJ Penn, made me realize that. I was like, wow. 
Frank Yeager's the real deal, and you almost and you just see it more and more. And like I remember his fight against Charles Oliveira, which is not like a very big one in the grand scheme of things, but you know it was an important fight because Frank Yeager, I believe, lost three in a row already. And granted, mm. they were the championship fights. You know, he just dropped a fight to Jose Aldo, but you would see him kind of recover from that and just having faith in his right hand and exiting, rolling out. That I know we're a big fan of Blake. You know, we talked about that with our. Uh, Mayweather, Mayweather uh, Tech Talk is roll it, rolling out from the right. Mm-hmm. But, man, yeah, Frank Yeager, sorry, I'm burping, moving his feet. Uh, you know, Tucks the chin. I love it. Tucking the chin. Yeah, his angles, you know, showing that, you know, your left hook, you don't got to put a lot on it. If you know when to throw it, you throw it at the right time. I'll, Chad Mendez, that fight, oh, my goodness, that first-round knockout. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, he, 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 he deserves himself a damn spot on the list. So, so props on you, Blake. Thank you for putting him on there. Yes, sir. All right. Well, with number one, I think we know what your number one is. So, should we just jump into your number one then, right now? Then, well, so do you want to set that up or? Yeah. Did you do? Oh, first? oh no, my turn to go first. That's right. Never mind. Yeah. It's number two. Yeah, we got your number two. Oh, my number two still. Okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fucking jumping in. Ooh, I'm glad you reminded me. My number two. My number two was going to be Dominic Cruz, but I, I bumped him. I bumped him back one because you know what? Maybe it's because. Today in history, at least according to uh, MMA Junkie, go follow MMA Junkie. They do a, a Today in History MMA has to do with him. But I bumped up Chris Lytle on my motherfucking list. Chris Lights Out Lytle. Another lights guy, Out Lytle. I believe it was like 10-1 and one or something was his pro boxing record, but came up boxing, was a fucking mm-hmm. fireman. Just like wasn't even training full time, you know, uh, like a like a Stipe and just is fucking boxing, firefighting and and fighting and uh, just any fight. Again, not a guy you thought even when he was going through his runs wasn't going to be a title contender, but you know you're going to get a fight. And he fought fucking everybody, dude. He fought fucking Robbie Lawler back in the day. Uh, I don't have it pulled up in front of me. I may, I may pull it up now, but I mean, like you 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 name it. And the, the honest history today that I was referencing, by the way, while I pulled it up was. Uh, his his farewell fight, and I believe ended up being Dan Hardy's last fight, I believe. But yeah, he fought Dan Hardy uh, today. Uh, yeah, August fourteenth in twenty eleventh, man. Damn. Even with the guillotine choke, with that pressure boxing, son, he was tagging Hardy, left hooks, right hands, and this guy would just go to war. Fought Matt Brown twice, one of which was in the UFC, the rematch on that epic uh, Lesnar versus uh, Carwin White Gorilla Festival card. Fought- oh yeah. Lost a split decision to the aforementioned Marcus Davis, who was number five. I mean, this guy has been around the motherfucking block. Um, I, I couldn't help but put Chris Lytle on the list. He was just it was a very hipster pick, if you will, but he's always had a soft spot. <laughs> you know, he lost Matt, that Matt, uh, you know, the Matt Sarah fight changes, the epic Matt Sarah fight for the comeback series changes, uh, Changed his life because he lost the finals after beating Pete Spratt and Din Thomas to get to the finals. And then Matt Sarah took the rematch because people would haunt him and be like, Chris Lytle kicked your ass and would taunt him. (laughs) So they fought again. And then he beats Matt Sarah in the rematch. And it was just great. One of the few guys, he went on top in his hometown, out on top in his hometown. And uh, you rarely get those stories, man. And and Chris Lytle is one of them. And I believe he deserves a high spot on my list. So I give him number two. Absolutely, man. Well, yeah, we all know what my number one is. Dominic motherfucking Cruz, man. And for a lot of the same reasons and a couple more, man. So, again, the BJ, the BJJ scouts, if you guys haven't seen those, for sure go fucking look them up. Go ask your neighbor to bother Wi-Fi password. Go do something. Go go find the BJJ scouts on Dominic Cruz because they are quite amazing. But the things that impresses me the most is he is a true student of the game when it comes to boxing. He references – not just Muhammad Ali, but the one that got me was he references 
Willie Pep, and he doesn't like to bring it up a lot because I feel like if he does, it gives away a lot of his game. Because if you go watch any Willie Pep highlights, hundred percent, you are you you're you kind of second guess yourself and you I, I, am i watching dominic cruz what the fuck is going on a lot of the switch the the switch stances then they go square then he'll they'll lead with the the you know the left to go into a, a southpaw stance and you know right to go back into orthodox it's these it, darting shots these one twos uh getting out of the way cutting just weird angles at the time and and so he picks up a lot of his style, not just from Muhammad Ali and Roy Jones, but a lot of it from Willie Pep. And to be a true student of the game and to that to that degree, man, oh man, it is shown through like fucking phenomenally. And again, yeah, yeah, I, I, he lost to you know Cody No Love, but I'm looking at you know you're looking at the entire work of Dominic Cruz, and it's just the thing of fucking beauty because of. The little things that he does, the little angles that he takes, the sidesteps, the the little shuffles that he does to throw off people. He uses all the facets of boxing, and and he fools a lot of the people. And the reason you know Cody didn't get fooled by us because he's a, again he's another student in the game. But he fools a lot of people because they're not just used to honing in on the one skill that he is used to, and that style of boxing is a bit. I don't say it's not dated. It's just the it's part of history that nobody really uses anymore. So now he can use it just the same way. Vasily Lomachenko is really good. He uses a part of history that people no longer use or think that it's applicable because they've moved on to something else and you've redug it up. You've redug this gem up and you've added it to your crown of amulets. And now you got all this fucking power, you know, like that's the best way I can describe it, man. He, he picks up little bits and pieces of historical moments and historical figures in boxing that even that that are just that are they're not even taken into account now, which are which is amazing. So again, without the obvious things, the Willie Pep reference still sticks to me because Willie Pep's one of my top three favorite boxers of all time. So seeing a fighter fight like that really has a special place in my heart. So Dom Cruz for sure, man. Dude, um, I almost feel bad for taking your number one, but I a second you. I a I second you. He hundred percent not only deserves to be on the list. Obviously, he's on my list, but deserves a number one spot. Don't disagree with that. Not that you can disagree. There's no right or wrong here, folks. But I don't disagree with that for what it's worth for one second. And I love that you bring up the Willie Pep because I not only do I agree, but that you know, as a technical freak, someone who appreciates the same thing as Dominic Cruz and a lot of the same things you do, Blake, or the fight game. You can't not go back and appreciate. Uh, what Willie Pep was doing in his time and just how it translates and uh, from boxers to MMA fighters we're seeing, you know, uh, his style inspired. So big ups on big ups on that. More than deserving of a number one. Great, thank you, thank you, thank great, you. Great thank you very much, pick, sir. Um, <laughs> before before I get to my number one, a quick note here. I think you you and the audience might find fu- funny. I had a uh, I pulled up Chris Lytle's uh, stuff last minute there for that last thing, and it just caught my uh-huh. eye. I missed this my research for this episode. But uh, speaking of, I'm, I'm burping over here. I'm belching beaver the whole time. And ironically, Chris Lytle fought somebody called Beaver Beaver. That's right. It's a, <laughs> uh, he had a win in 2000. It was a, a rear naked choke. I mean, he rear naked choked the beaver. And the name is literally Beaver Beaver. And the card was called BBC. Now, that BBC can stand for a lot of things on the internet. But apparently, this stood for a bad boy competition. <laughs> and he choked out Beaver Beaver at BBC. Chris Lytle choked out Beaver Beaver. Choke that beaver at BBC. Make of that what you will, but go ahead. <laughs> when I said Chris Lytle did it all, I wasn't kidding, folks. He did it all. 
So, oh my goodness. <laughs> All right, but on that, my number one, with no further ado, this was tough. It's fucked up, man. <laughs> um, my number one was going to be between three options, and I'm like, Blake has to choose if not two or all three at least one of these options to make my number one easier right so i like due to this connecting line on my list between three options and blake hit fucking none of them so now (laughs) so now i'm on the spot here live well not live but you know what i'm saying as we're recording having to decide and i am gonna have to go to the well here one of them two of uh, one of them was um was JDS, and I'm taking JDS off because JDS is part of this fucked up love triangle where, like, him and Mark Hunt are two of my favorite heavyweights, two of my favorite fucking boxers in MMA, even though Mark Hunt, you know, K1 can kickbox, obviously, two of my favorite boxers in MMA. The problem is, they're fucking both have gotten soundly beaten by the number one fucking heavyweight, Steve Amiochik, who also <laughs> deserves a spot on the list. And you want to talk about next generation picks like ahead of their time picks like Blake had early on in the list? Steve Amiochik almost was one of those picks for me because of that reason because he beat yes. both guys who I love. And, um, and you know, you know, I, I'm not all about the calling out, you know, the heavyweight, but I, I appreciate it, and at least he's trying to wave that flag. So for what it's worth, it seems that he is going to argue his spot on the list in the future with what he wants to do. And if, especially if he keeps knocking out people like Stipe keeps doing. Stipe could have been on the list. Mark Hunt more than deserving on the list. JDS more than deserving. I canceled him off. Second option, Blake, that I'm canceling off, Jose Aldo. Because Jose Aldo... Not only can he fit other lists because he's so goddamn talented. If we want to talk top oh, yeah. five counter wrestlers, top five kickboxers slash Muay Thai fighters, which is probably what's more appropriate for him. But in the similar sense of dominant crews, about dominant champions that can win rounds that have ring generalship to no other. Like look no further than fucking Jose Aldo. Just for his right. ring generalship and jab alone was going to earn him a spot on his list. Um, but but Blake, that comes down to our last option, the fucking well. I know, I know. Okay. Oh, okay. Dan, Dan, Dan was gonna have to pick this guy. But oh, honestly, he's he, oh Dan Tom. He's he, oh, this is one of the favorite fighters. I was gonna bring him up, but honestly, it's kind of fucking appropriate for the list we're doing. And by God, by God, damn it, did Freddie Roach not only say it, but say it at an important time before the boxing and MMA talk. He was he was a guy that was that was a, 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 a dual division that was leaving the UFC trying to do it and trying to fight boxers, whether it was all division. He tried to fight. He came apparently close in a negotiation to Oscar De La Hoya, but never came through to it. And he, even though uh, Connor seemed to have broken every record that he's broken, Connor's probably going to be breaking another one now that he's fighting Mayweather. And that's BJ fucking Penn. BJ Penn. Freddie Roach said had one of the best jabs and one of the best one of the best boxers in MMA. And he, Freddie Roach just trains George St. Pierre, who, great, George St. Pierre is one of the best jabs in MMA. And Freddie Roach says St. Pierre might have one of the best jabs in MMA. But I'll tell you this, that performance of GSP's jab, as impressive as it was, it came against Josh Koscheck at UFC 129, where you want to go years before, UFC 84. Granted, Sean Shirk is no more impressive boxer. In fact, he's got a wrestling base just as just as Josh Koscheck does. Nevertheless, you want to talk about one of the best performances of a jab in MMA? Find uh-huh. me a better, find me a better one than UFC 84. BJ Penn. You want to talk about the feint and the rhythms that me and Blake were talking about earlier? You, 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 this was the first time where you were seeing guys changing tempo, not just hitting a jab cleanly and getting out and not taking damage, maintaining range with their jab. Day one shit, but he was changing tempo on his jab, and then once he got the tempo changes and, and threw a couple out there for sure. He would sometimes just feint the jab, not throw it all together, just feint it, and set up his right hand. Like, 
boxing shit that you you don't even see today in MMA, but you definitely weren't seeing any of that shit back then. And for that reason, even though I know I'm Hawaii, I'm a five nine Hawaiian. <laughs> BJ Penn's my favorite fucking fighter I know, but goddamn, he deserves a place on the god uh, on the list. Even BJ Penn's corpse. Did you guys see BJ Penn's corpse fight Dennis Seaver? Even BJ Penn's corpse fucking hit an uppercut <laughs> and almost knocked his ass out despite being gassed and losing the first two rounds. Right? He knocks him down with an uppercut. Even his corpse has some boxing in him. But goddamn it. Um, um, before I go on a BJ Penn rant, save me here, Blake. BJ Penn makes it as my number one on the list. Okay. I'm with that, man. Um, and, uh, yeah, I like how you touch on some of your – I don't know if those are honorable mentionals. Uh, honorable mentions, they were. I should I was, say. I'll sneak them in there. Uh, I'll sneak them in there, yeah. I, I did have Stipe, JDS, and my other one was Conor McGregor. Nice. Um, as my honorable mentions. And, you know, for whatever reasons, I just didn't have – I can't – listen, Conor couldn't be on my list just because I'm a Floyd fan in this fight. Maybe – if they wasn't fighting Mayweather, he might be on this list, to be quite honest. Uh, but I can't even wear my Conor McGregor shirts till August 28th, um, or August 27th, I should say. Uh, but, and Stipe, Stipe was so close to being on my list. I just I replaced him with Anna Houlton at the last minute, but he is his boxing has just sky skyrocketed him to the place of where he's at, man, and. Uh, I couldn't again. I couldn't have Mark Hunt or JDS just because they got beat so soundly by my boy Alistair. Even not even by by Stipe, but just by Alistair. Um, but yeah, those are guys I'm, I'm on my honorable mentions. And I'll throw BJ in there, man. For for the longest time, BJ did have. He was the boxing guy. Right. He had those entries and exits like you're talking about that are foreign to MMA, but they're so vested in in what you do as far as boxing basics goes and people just didn't understand it because again they don't hone into that one sport like they do with mma so i think even still some of the things he does can still be studied on and still used so 100%. Uh, i like that man i like that number one and, and I like your honorable mentions well i appreciate that blake and you know what and I lost it, Blake. Sorry about that. But you know, but you know, but you, you know what? I'm glad you weighed in on that um, because again, I snuck in my my honorable mentions there, and I I figured again, I figured they were going to be on your list, so I figured you had something to say about those that I mentioned. So I'm glad uh, you weighed in on those heavyweights there because you know they. Uh, there, guys, especially, you know, Steve B and JDS, I remember me and you having some talks about, you know, about that matchup not too long ago at UFC 211, so uh, that was definitely in our lexicon of fighters, man, but let's get to some submissions and transitions, and then we'll clean up the honorable mentions and get on out of here. Sound good, brother? Sounds good, man. All right, man. First, I'm going to just jump on the Twitter sphere. Not too many, so we'll cut through these uh, fast. We have my man, uh, Levi MMA, at L-E-E-V-I-M-M-A. Using hashtag Protect Your Neck Pod. I, I shortened it up this time because, man, the Protect Your Neck Podcast takes a lot. And Protect Your Neck, you'll, I'll, I'll just be siphoning through a bunch of Wu-Tang <laughs> posts all day, guys. So so bear with me while I get that in order. But not in order, uh, Levi says, but Masvidal, which is on my honorable mention. Thank you for mentioning him. Burgos, also on my honorable mention. Garbrandt, who you brought up. Stipe, who we just talked about. And... My man Todd Duffy, who we actually shared a boxing coach. I shared a story about um, him fighting Bryce Brittany in that uh, Superior Cage Combat show with Sergio Pettis and shit. That guy, that boxing coach I was talking about, was Todd Duffy's boxing coach. That's how me and Todd actually met, um, for what that's worth. But through 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 Bryce, shout out to Bryce there. But yeah, yeah, Todd. Shout out, that's a nice list. Yeah, Todd Duffy definitely upped his boxing from that in the Anthony Hamilton fight. It was really apparent where he really pieced him up, and that was the work with. 
work with uh, my man Bryce Bryce Rotani there. Do you got anything on his list? Uh, Masvidal, Burgos, any love for those guys? I like Masvidal, man. That's one I kind of uh, didn't think about, but yeah, super. Uh, and I, I should have, but he's on now on my honorable mentions list. His boxing is, man, his his boxing is phenomenal. But like, I still want to see more. But and because I feel like he he has to do other MMA things to keep himself on the feet and for defensive purposes. But yeah, his hand his hands are a thing of beauty, man. I like him. He's on my honorable mentions after that list. I like it. Me too. He's not quite there yet, which is weird because he's like a kind of a veteran in, in certain senses. But he's really still growing. But you want to talk about angles and tempos? That's a guy who's who's got it. That's why I, I picked him. No, reluctantly, I wasn't super confident. I, but I did pick him against Cowboy for that reason, and he's been growing. So I have him actually. I don't know what NG means, but I put that next to some of my picks. I think that means like new game. Like I did my own top five, for example, Connor and Stepe who you already touched on, they have an NG next to their name, although they didn't make me because, again, Stipe challenging and Connor with his hat almost technically already in the ring with Floyd, you know, for obvious reasons there. Um, and then, uh, and yeah, I, I put an NG next to George Mas- Masvidal for those same reasons. Shane Burgos, I didn't put an NG next to his name, but he's an honorable mention because you want to talk about those inside slips and, you know, the, the Philly shells, so those kind of things and having those feel for it. And it is, you know, it is dangerous. You know, I get why people are like, oh, I don't think Burgos should be that big of a favorite in his last fight because of his defense. But if you know, if you understand boxing or these little nuances of striking, you you can see what Shane Burgos is doing in there, and the school kind of he came up in. And it's really interesting with Burgos because he has he's the, he's the dude who had scoliosis, uh, had to have like invasive surgery, so he shouldn't even you know on paper oh, damn. be a competitive athlete. You can kind of see even with the scoliosis and all the athletic work he put on before and after the surgery to work his his posture. You can see a natural curvature in his spine. But Blake, it's impressive because he almost like parlays that curvature in his spine to that Philly shell. So again, like uh, Neil Melanson, great grappling coach, said, "I never try to change grapplers. I try to make everybody grapple to their body type." You gotta fight, and the same thing with boxing. You're similar things. You gotta fight to your body type, right? There are outliers, sure. There's there's guys who are short, stout guys who are good outfighters. Like there are those. It doesn't say you can't be an outlier, but generally you're best off fighting to your body type. And you see Shane Burgos kind of using that that natural like curvature in his spine in in that in that Philly shell form, and it's so beautiful. So I'm definitely a lot to watch on that kid. Only three fights in, but definitely a lot to watch from him. So thank you, uh, Levy, for. Uh, for sharing that, and uh, you already touched on your thoughts on Steepy and Garbrandt. Nothing to add there, right, Blake? Nah, man. Nah, everything on that is clear, and I, and I think you touched on one thing too that kind of brought me to another part of why I made my list the way I did was defense. Even though, and again, I think the only outlier of that would be Nate Diaz, but even his small slips and small things he does keep his head and his body defensively just, you know, not in a place to get hit as often as it could or should be, or as, as easy as, as a lot of people would think, as well as everybody else. A lot of their defense is just as good as their offense. And I feel like boxing and MMA, when you put those words together, a lot of it's offensive driven. Yes, yeah. But a lot of my list was, was because of offense and defense, which is all part of the real world, the real world of boxing. A hundred percent. We're seeing that. Like people say that the striking hasn't caught up in boxing. More specifically, it's the defense. 
that that is still lacking, you know, from just basic defense to plain defense to the defense that goes along with your strikes to where you're being defense as your offense, if the roll unders or just getting your head off goddamn center when you're throwing your punches, you know, where we're seeing that catch on slower, but but surely, but surely. So, yeah, exactly. 100, good point. Uh, Instagram, we're going to jump over to the Instagram. Not as much traction over there, guys, so go ahead and give us a follow. It's real easy. It's the same same handle as Facebook and Twitter, at the PYM Podcast. My man, Andrew Tabber, uh, he just puts one on here, but it's something we haven't mentioned. And a guy that could be technically more Muay Thai, but deserves a spot on the list, Anderson Silva. He's all oh, about the fighter. Oh, for sure, yes. Yeah. Technically a Muay Thai there, guy. There were plenty but... of times. Yeah, there were plenty of times where he just used hands to wipe out anybody he wanted to man and uh again even getting close to again we're talking you talked about bj with delahoy we talk about anderson and roy jones yeah like that and he's a professional boxer too i think he was uh two and or three and one or two and two but like he still had a a pro boxing career you know what i'm saying so yeah that's a good one right there yeah 100 percent, man i mean obviously the forrest griffin fight comes to mind of many which uh people appreciated that that was my to know that that was actually my first MMA bet was I bet Forrest Griffin in that fight. How ironic is that? That's <laughs> I say like I think it's a pretty awesome first bet in MMA to have for comical reasons when you think about it. Like how you'd be hard pressed to find a worse first MMA bet than that. Like right, <laughs> I'm gonna give this betting a chance. Let's go fifty dollars on Griffin. He's looking okay. Oh, I looking just out of shape. my money. Yeah, and do you see Anderson on the scale, bro? He looks heavy and out of shape. Griffin's got this. <laughs> Well, all right. <laughs> all right, that money was well spent. But uh, but no, I mean even looking at you know, but the most impressive stuff to me, again, not not the flashy stuff, it's the it's the simple stuff like Floyd doing the tutorial, like the Southpaw defensive tutorial. Simple as that is, that speaks so much volumes and go look at Yushin Okami uh, versus Anderson, the second fight of course in the UFC. Where right. not impressive striker Yushin Okami, and it's a southpaw versus southpaw matchup, but he's giving the MMA audience a tutorial. Like, if you don't understand what a commentator says by splitting the jab, just go watch that fight because he just gives a tutorial on splitting jabs. Or Skin even off the and jabbing. When, when he oh, placed yeah. himself against the cage and just used just simple boxing head movement. Again, yep. he didn't end it with boxing, but like simple boxing head movement. Just to be like, oh, yeah, 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 oh, I'm over here, I'm over here. Oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And Stefan Bonner probably at that moment shitted himself and was like, fuck, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, 100%, man, 100%. Great, great stuff. Now I'm going to just uh, keep it moving, jump over to Facebook. Um, Hal Fuentes, he did his base off, like, active. But I okay. like I like, I like the, the, the people. He has, uh, excuse me. Um, first of all, he the people we already mentioned. He had Garbrandt, Aldo, and Stipe, all very worth it. But he also had John Lineker, and more importantly, Cub fucking Swanson, who deserves a mention. Uh, yeah, I was going to think Lineker, actually. He was going to be on my list for a moment. And I was just like, well, I, I think I can find some other better people. I like the I like John Lineker, and I like Cub Swanson, too. I feel, again, just not my flavor when I went with this, just because of, like... He, he 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 mixes his his boxing again for MMA is amazing, but right, like right, right. he does a lot of other MMA stuff that adds that leads to the boxing. Like I don't know how well he would just do just hand wise or whatever. But again, this means so much to so many people. It's interpreted so many different ways, and there's not a wrong list of people you can really have because this all means something different for everybody. 
Yep, yep, a hundred percent. Oklahoma Knowles, my man there, Jer- Jersey, Jersey. He uh, had a one A and one B. One A was Nick Diaz. One B was Nate. So he's with us on the Diaz brothers, but uh, I'm I guessing like from the one A one B, maybe again, no wrong answer, but it looks like he f- favors uh, Nick slightly there. Uh, number two, he has JDS, who we talked about. Well deserved. Yes. Three, Frankie Edgar got the Frankie Edgar love from Jersey. Uh-huh. Well, well deserved though. Number four, Cody Garbrandt. You know, bold, newer school, but deserved. Deserved, right? He beat Dominic Cruz. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, shit. I mean, uh, and five. I like this one. Uh, even though, um, uh, you know, technically Muay Thai, she was able to not throw kicks for the first half of her MMA career and and and, and be a MMA boxer for the first half, and that's Joanna Champion. You want to hear Jacek? Ooh. You know, she was. Yeah. Th- she didn't throw her, her kicks in MMA until literally she threw like her first kicks in the. Jessica Penny fight, and she she even threw him sparingly, which means something because that was probably like her most dominant performance of all. And even mm-hmm. then, she was afraid to throw the kicks, which showed because she was admitted in interviews she was afraid to throw kicks. She wanted to develop her game. She didn't have an ego about it. She wasn't like I'm not afraid. I'm ready wherever the fight goes. She was like, No, I'm still developing my game, so I'm just gonna make everybody punch with me. <laughs> like she was pretty honest about it. Like as cocky as she was, she's fucking honest. You know what I'm saying? She was honest with herself. Yes. And and it's smart because she did. She she had realistic expectations, and we saw the rest of her game grow. Accordingly, and uh, he has an honorable mention, Derek Brunson. Not what I was expecting, but hey, give some wow. love to Mr. Brunson. Why not? Yeah, I like Derek Brunson, man. I met him in Albuquerque last year, so or 2016. Yeah, 2016. Yeah, so yeah, uh, shout outs to him, man. Does have some very underrated boxing. Nice. And the last to clean out the list, just three more guys. We got Brian from Boston. He had Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, Fabio Maldonado, Glover Teixeira, who we haven't talked about, and uh, mm. Jorge Masvidal. But Glover, Glover, yeah, man, Glover is mainly a boxer, man. That right, right hand, left hook, one of the best left hooks in MMA. I mean, uh, I don't hate him being on a list, no matter the number. So no, no, that that left hook, that's that's what really sticks out when I think of Glover, just because of like you talk about the the weaker side having not having a hook or having a hook. Man, he's done things of beauty with that damn thing. So. Ooh. Yeah, I can definitely see Glover on that. Hey, Blake, both both best left hookers in the light heavyweight division are coming off losses. Do you think they do Manawa versus oh, fucking Teixeira? I do. Ooh, that's a good match. There's not many light heavyweight oh, matches or, that get me excited, but or Manawa in I would get excited for that. DC, Manawa DC, I think would be the, see that. Yeah, where the storyline is at, where you're like, oh, they were talking shit since like '89 UFCs ago. Yeah, let's get them to fight each other. You know what I'm saying? Probably the only 205 matchup for DC that makes sense for what that's worth. But absolutely, but yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, fought it for later. But uh, Jason Lackey, Nick and Nate—that's all he has. But Jason Lackey knows him. He's from the 209 himself, so oh, okay. he's got to show that 209 <laughs> love. I love Jason Lackey, so no, 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 no shame there. Thanks for participating, Jason. Uh, my man Johnny Mac, Nick and Nate, a lot of Nick and Nate Diaz love. But he also has a guy who had not on my, that's just on my honorable mention, but on that new new game, the NG list, Max Holloway. He had my, my man Max Holloway Ooh. there. I couldn't have two Hawaiians on there, but uh, he right. Had, <laughs> but he has Anderson Silva, Jorge Masvidal, and Conor McGregor to close out the list. That closes out the submission and transitions. That's good, 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 good mentions there, huh, Blake? I like the shout outs to everybody who did that. That's that's some good. That made me rethink my life. I'm like, damn, like, damn, I should talk to these people before. I, uh, but like, some good picks there for sure, man. I like them. You have uh, any honorable mentions you want to get out before we get out of here that, that that the crowd or we didn't get to yet? Nah, just the ones I mentioned, man. Again, Connor, JDS, Stepe, we touched on those, and Cody for sure. Uh, those were all ones that I was back and forth. Like I got my list, I got to scratch it off. <laughs> I got to make a new list. I got uh, so. 
man, but shout outs to those guys. Those really made me rethink my life. And they all do variances of very technical things when it comes to boxing and staying true to the actual sport in and of itself. So, and that's what really even got them to make me even cross my mind. Like, damn, yeah, they need to be on my list. Hundred percent. I just have uh, three or four that I'll touch off on real quick. Uh, Vitor Belfort, because he was a hands yeah. guy originally before he started throwing kicks in, with the, with the TRT era. He was a hands guy for most of his career. Uh, some of the most feared hands. Uh, Michael Bisping, I feel like deserves as far as you know from. He's coming up, man. Yeah. I mean, nothing like to write home about, but as far as boxing process, round winning, ring generalship, uh, just the spirit, you know, of, of a workman boxer with a lunch pail. Like, I think he really embodies that. Um, Brad Pickett, another another British guy. There we go, Brad Pickett. I always got love for Brad Pickett in his boxing. I know he didn't have the knockouts for the one-punch moniker as he'd like, but I feel like he's worth an honorable mention. And the last one, uh, the last guy to make that, top, that, 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 that secondary top five, the new breed top five, Santiago Ponzinibbio. I think we haven't seen the best for him. I think he's, oh, he's going to get yeah. better. He shows he can stick and move and pressure box, two of my favorite styles. Uh, I want to see more from that cat. I'm with it. I love that. The Santiago, that's a cat to be looking out for. I like he's on your next-gen list because he's one of those next-gen guys for sure. That's probably what it stands for, next-generation NG. Uh, there we go. I don't, even, I don't even know my own handwriting as you hear. But man, I got you. I got you. But, man, Blake, we've this, this episode's run so long, but in a good way. Action-packed. We've covered literally everything I wanted to cover from the outro to tagging things to shouting out people. Everything's already covered. I, I really... We've said so much. I, I, for once, have nothing left to fucking say. Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> Old Dan Tom with nothing left to say. Go figure. God he don't even want to talk son. to himself. He, he out of ideas. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> this, no, honestly, brother, this was fun, man. This was a great. I think. I think. I think people are really gonna dig this conversation as we're recording here, here live, at least in our time. And uh, I can't thank you enough for coming aboard. Is there anything you want to plug before you get your last words out there, sir? Yeah, thank you so much, man, for having me on again. I love the show. And thank you for coming on my shows in the past. Um, everybody go check out Loaded Joe's MMA podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play. Um, you can find us on – go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We do a lot of interviews. If you guys want the full experience, for sure, go follow us on Facebook so you can see the video. Uh, a lot of uh, – a lot. I think a, a lot – you can listen to it, but like when you see I'm very animated and – Whoever I have on, whether it's Dan, Tom, Robin Black, or even, again, Jason Pearl, you can see their animations. It goes hand-in-hand hand with the show, and uh, it's just a beautiful thing. And, and for sure, go follow Loudmouth Boxing. You guys are boxing fans. Go follow us, you know, on Twitter and Facebook. But um, Dan, Tom, man, thank you for having me on, brother. It's, it's always a fucking ple- pleasure. It's always a blast. I uh, always like tossing down one with you uh, from across coasts. You know, me down here in the 30 coast, dirty coast, 33rd. Damn, I'm getting all tongue-tied. Um, and you out there, man, represent the West Coast, man. Thank you again for having me on, bro. 100%, man. Thank you. And, and thank you not just for coming on, but having me on your show. Awesome show. Again, people, not just not just saying because he's on here. Go check it out. Go check out those episodes. <laughs> I know I'm going to be waiting for that Jesse from Breaking Bad before we get out of here. <laughs> I'm just going to call Perillo that from now on. But uh, before we get out of here, uh, Hal Fund has also said, Art Jimerson. Get the man, Art Jimerson. How can we not have mentioned Give Art Jimerson? Give the man his credit. Art Jimerson. <laughs> God damn it. Been... All right. On that Art Jimerson note, let's get the fuck out of here, folks. So remember, keep your head trauma to a minimum. If you are going to get in the octagon or a ring, make sure you have either both gloves on. Okay? Not just one. <laughs> and regardless if it's a boxing match or not, always protect your neck. <laughs>